Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is June the 2nd of 2020, and we are here to talk about manga. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yay. That's what we are here to do. We could do other things, but we're going to talk about manga. Yeah, and uh, after we're done with this, you know what, uh, there will probably be certain conversations we have that uh, we're particularly fond of that uh, several years down the line, we're just going to completely rehash um, because we like those bits and don't want to let go of them. Yes. So, hey, Nick, remember hashtag Ray? Let's just do that again for let's just do that again now. 35 yeah, I mean, minutes. Yeah. Nothing quite you know, as good as spontaneously trying to reinvent the wheel and, and make magic happen again. Exactly. But, you know, hashtag Ray's got to be a little bit different. Okay. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be like an alternate version of hashtag Ray. Uh, one who is um, uh, sexier while being the same age. Okay. Uh, not so liking that, where this is going, but all right. Uh, not, neither am I, but <laughs> I'm making a very veiled, a very veiled reference to something that no one's going to understand. <laughs> okay. Based on the coach. <laughs> Look, so <laughs> who was it a reference to? So I'll get into it. Okay. Well, we're t- do we have a tangent before that we want to get into, or do we get that out of the way before we start? I think we just did the tangent. We talked we did about the tangent. Uh, okay, yeah, so we, yeah. The manga that we are talking about this time for our recommended series, it comes to us from podcast favorite Kentaro Yabuki. Yeah. Who you know what? I I do I think now that we have gotten his most recent series and we've kind of seen a little bit of his commentary on it, I do like him as like a person. Uh, he seems fun. Uh, and like, he knows what he's doing at least. Uh, and, uh, his daughter sounds great. That said, um, most of his more recent stuff. And by more recent, I mean the last decade and a half is stuff that overall, I don't really like. Uh Uh, So, (laughs) It is interesting that we are now going back to the time just before that period to uh, his first major manga, which is Black Cat. It's a series that ran in Shonen Jump from 2000 through 2004 as an anime adaptation. Uh, and yeah, so oh God, Black Cat, how would I describe this series? So we have uh, bounty hunters, but they're not bounty hunters. Uh, they're sweepers. Yeah. They're, they're, they're essentially like modern day bounty hunters in the sense that they will, you know, work outside the law to get people who are wanted and turn them in safely to the authorities in order to get money. But they are also heroic enough characters that a lot of times they'll kind of just be like, yeah, we'll, you know, either change our mind because this person we've captured is going to be let go. Uh, and, or, you know, we'll go outside of the purview, purview of, you know, we're going to just capture this person and bring them in because, oh, they're running an evil empire and we've got to disrupt the evil empire and completely break it up. <laughs> you know, we're going to do things that most bounty hunters would say, like, well, that's putting yourself at unnecessary risk, but they're good people. So, yeah. And one of them has a backstory. <laughs> That's about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. Really, That's only one of them. Really... Only one of them really well, has a significant. Yes, but... well, only one of them significant enough to 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 be a, a thing. I I would say to to explain Black Cat very quickly. It was an action battle shonen from the early two thousands. Um, 
and it ran for almost 200 chapters and in that span accomplishes essentially one arc <laughs> and i don't like it's one of these things where there was absolutely a series like more intended for the series and i don't know if it ended because i i don't have the numbers so i'm not trying to like presume anything here but it, it definitely ended before it was it, it had told everything it wanted to i don't know if it was because it got canceled or if it was because yabuki was like i'm just moving on to something else there were there are definitely enough plot holes or plot threads left out there that at some point someone wanted to explore but it doesn't uh it did get an anime uh but this is also like weirdly one of the most, and I don't mean this is an insult to the series uh, per se, but uh, more forgotten jump battle series, I think, of that time frame. I would say I hear more people talk about almost every one of this series contemporaries more than I hear people ever reference it. Uh, I mentioned that I read this series way back in the day, and I was like, I definitely didn't finish it, but I do remember a couple of these characters and situations. Mm -hmm. um, but now that I've read the whole thing... Uh, I can firmly say that in three years' time, if someone asks me about it, I will be like, I don't, I don't remember anything. <laughs> uh, I was somewhat familiar with uh, with the series going back to the late 2000s before I even knew of any of uh, Kentaro Yabuki's work. Um, you know, Black Hat was like a name that I just kind of like heard back mm -hmm. then. as like a manga that was relatively popular in its time uh that era that you're talking about you have to keep in mind that that is early days of you know all the the big shonen explosion yeah. that kind of has determined what all conversations on the internet about manga are going to be uh so you know it's when the, at the time that it debuted like one piece was three years old naruto was less than one year old bleach debuted during uh the early parts of black cat's run um and then it was over in only only four years four years nothing to sneeze at it's no, you it's... know a good solid run in shonen jump uh had a lot of time but it, it's a, it was an odd experience reading this series and it's weird because like i don't have a whole lot negative to say about it save for the general sense that i don't have much to say about it because it didn't leave much of an impact on me i i think i find a couple things in it that i i i do like and there are bits of it that are interesting to talk about um i will i will say that i i think it generally is competent and like everything tends to do with one major exception that i'll get to um okay. but i think like the leads they're fine they're not mind-blowing they're fine they're good they're okay sometimes they look cool sometimes they're assholes but that's just how general shonen writing tends to go especially back in those early days where you know sometimes you were considered cool if you were a supreme asshole to people who didn't deserve it for any reason um there there's the action i think generally fine powers kind of cool a at the surface it actually looked like there was a really interesting world building element going on because this world is uh controlled by this organization called chronos that has a military quasi branch uh essentially of super enforcers called the numbers who are basically super soldiers they all specialize in one weapon and get become the best with it and then uh 
you know, Train, our lead, was one of these members and then left the group. And then we meet various members as they go along. We know that Kronos controls the world. And then there's an antagonist group called. Oh, the I Apo- just got that. Uh, Apo- uh, yeah. Called- Sorry. Kronos, the numbers. And, and Train is 13 because there's no 13 on a clock because time because Kronos. Yeah. I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so. There's a group opposed to them called the Apostles of the Stars, and they have a special power based on Tau, which comes from like a the foreign country that again was probably something we were meant to explore at some point. We don't get there. Um, it seems like there's a really interesting thing going on there because this group opposes this this larger branch organization, government controlled group, and there's so much crime in the world, and the the general thrust of it seems to be put on civilians who are bounty hunters to respond to that crime and deal with it. And it seems like you're going to get into the series and be like, all right, I want to see what's going on with Kronos. What's it that? And it's like diving into a pool. But if you dove into it, you would break your neck because it's like an inch deep <laughs> and there's, there's nothing there. They just don't get to it. There's, there's like, there's a little bit of certain members of Kronos are assholes, but we never get far enough into the story for anyone to examine Kronos as an organization and be like, huh, maybe this isn't the best way to to run the world, essentially, is with a private military organization that the only real acts we know of them doing is them genociding a nation of people uh, who, don't worry, they, they, they made the nation, they genocided the bad ones who instigated the fight first. So they're sure. the real bad it's guys here. Just justification there. Yeah. Uh, but there's... They threw a rock at us, so we dropped a nuke on them. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so it's one of those things where there's, there's a level here you're like, huh, I wish we could have explored that more. But the other side of it is the Apostles of the Star, who are led by Creed. And Nick... I would go so far as to say Creed might be the worst antagonist of anything ever. He <laughs> is. So... Oh, hold on. Hold on. His sword is cool. He can't be the worst. <laughs> it's so boring. He, they introduce him, I think, in chapter 20. It's really early. Really on. early on. And he is and the he antagonist is like the yeah. until, the re- until the series ends. And he does nothing but lose and suck until the very end. And you sit around and you're like, when does he get interested? The only personality trait he has is that he's 100% gay for train, but does an early 2000s show it in. So you can't say that. So he's just creepily obsessed with him. And that is it. We don't, again, maybe we discovered it later on if the series had expanded and continued. But there is never a justification really given for why he's obsessed with train outside of he's unique and thus i want to be more like him and you'll just sit and watch this guy suck for 160 chapters and the entire time you'll be like anybody like just anybody more interesting can we thrust into this if ever there was a a a a series that needed a kaguya or a madara to just show up at the last second and push the bad guy off the roof so that they could be the antagonist instead it would be this one that's right after 400 chapters of build i am here to enact my hi i'm new here (laughs) oh yeah it's um i I don't really have a lot to say about a lot of the characters other than just like kind of their basic premise, really. Um, it, it's, it was an odd experience reading this manga because 
as I was going through it, I was, I, the only th- impression that I really had that I couldn't shake was this was clearly written in 2000, like very, 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 very specifically 2000, because you can very clearly see certain inspirations uh, and uh, takes on things and character elements and power ideas that either um, would have only come about because you were inspired by something that came out very recently from that period. And of course, you know, maybe someone who watched that would get into it, into creating their own stuff years and years later, or certain things that are used in this series that had they happened two years later mm-hmm. would have been considered a tremendous ripoff of something much more popular. So Sven, who is Train's partner, uh, has his power is that he has an eye, <laughs> which he got from his friend who yes. died to save him, which lets him see into the future. Like if this had not come out exactly when it did, I would have just said like, so he's Kakashi with a Sharingan. Like, <laughs> but I can't say that because it came out at just the time when it's like, no, he probably thought of that literally at the same time Naruto was being published yeah. before that was revealed. And now if you have precisely that thing happen in your series, there is no way you can term it as anything other than a knockoff of Naruto because there's no way you don't know about that nowadays if you're making manga. But because of when it happened, he probably didn't. Yeah, it was just <laughs> parallel thinking. Two guys both came up with the idea of a character's like, my partner has died, but they had magic eyeballs and they're going to give me one. And like eye surgery is very convenient like that. I mean, in, in Naruto, it's basically like a plop and push sort of thing. At least in, in Black Cat, they just justify the idea of surgery done. But yeah, you just <laughs> plop it in and then the magic works. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a little more interesting in Black Cat because... Um, it is purely magic, and they do not explain it. Yeah. Uh, in Black Cat, there's characters who are insanely physically talented. They're the best with weapons or things like that, or their weapons are specifically built up powers. And then there are people who take a magic potion that gives them magic powers. Sven has neither. He has a magic eyeball. It is never explained. He eventually trains to make the eyeball more magic as the series goes along. And also ghosts do exist in this series because they show up multiple times to talk to characters. So <laughs> there's an interesting level. Like they explain everyone's power set except for Sven. He just has a magic eyeball. Um, the series that I would most liken this to in terms of how the conventions work is uh, Seis Manos. In that there are things in it because it would be cool to do an action scene with them. So this series will have guns and magic Kung Fu and demons and whatever else, just because Uh, you may not, you may think like, well, why are you combining, you know, like a girl who has nanites in her body that reconstruct her body in all sorts of different ways with a guy who just has a magic. Just cause yeah, just because it's fun. That's it makes for a cool fight. That's, that's the thought process. And if you don't like that, I understand. But if you also, but if you have the attitude on the other hand of like, okay, cool fight scenes, totally fine with that too. <laughs> like I, it's, it's not clumsily implemented because it's just for the sake of it. So you can't even say that. Um, the other vibe that I got off of this series was Vash the Stampede, uh, Trigon. Yeah. 
A little bit. Um, with Train. And that's why I say specifically, like, you can tell this was done in 2000 because Trigun was, like, 1998. Um, right at that uh, late 90s period. And it really feels like, yeah, you know, an outlaw who's got some sort of past and a special gun, uh, you know, but... It's amusing because it, it is also a very big point that Train is never supposed to kill anybody, but that was clearly a detail decided later on because the first two chapters, yep. he definitely kills somebody. No, 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 no. He just kind of knocks them out by shooting them. He in the shot head. them in the head with a blunt bullet. Yeah, that's <laughs> probably what That's happened. like my favorite part of this entire goddamn series. I am not kidding. Is <laughs> when he's like confronting the guy from the former gang who's like, I have to take you in. And, and he's telling him like, don't do this. I'm going to have to stop you. And then he shoots him in the head and is just kind of like, I had to do it. I'm sorry. And that's just it. Like, he just has to move <laughs> on from there. That's my favorite part of the series because, like, that's, like, the world they live in. But then it's like, no, everything is sunshine and rainbows for these pair of bounty hunters who somehow never kill anyone. <laughs> <laughs> it just works out very easily for them in that way. Um, I, I will say that I, I genuinely kind of like about two-thirds of the, the main cast because the main characters would be Train uh sven who's sort of like his assistant uh i should say assistant partner uh and uh basically is sort of like the tech guy of the group while also being the brains of the group and the leader of the group because he's the only responsible one he, exactly. he, he fills a bunch of roles uh and then they Eve. have a good dynamic because yeah. uh you know they both respect each other and work well together and Train is the, you know, impulsive, happy-go-lucky shonen hero, although he has the dark past and stuff. Uh, and Sven is the one who's always telling me, like, no, we can't spend all of our bounty on fine dining. We've got debts to pay. So More often, it's just like, you know, we did the job. They paid us $50. Did you have to say, like, well, for, for your birthday, you should buy a $50 birthday cake and hand the money back to them. We <laughs> desperately need money, for the love of God. We can't um, afford to be this charitable. <laughs> the last uh, person of the group is uh, Eve, who is uh, a, a, basically like a, a test tube child who was born and injected with uh, nano machines. Because again, that's sort of a sign of like the early two thousands, where you're just like just infect someone with nano machines, they can do really kind of whatever. Um, and that's sort of what she could do. She could transform her body into a whole bunch of different things, and she's interested at the very least. Now, I have never le- read To Love Ru. So I don't have to read this series knowing that her design is basically co-opted into like a lully fetish character in the next series. Exactly. Yeah, so. Uh, so I am thankful to not have that. I was able to enjoy her as just a relatively kind of like fun, you know, character who, you know, um, does stuff. Uh, she, yeah, she's, she's fine. Like it's, yeah, I, most of the characters are fine. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> I, I think she is good. I, I mean, if, if I was to say anything about her is that, after she shows up, I legitimately was like, why is Rinslet even a character in this series? You are worthless to the degree of like, if you cut you like, it's not even like the sexy lampshade or whatever. Like you just could cut the role completely out and nothing really changes. Like you, 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 there's only one arc you, you get the characters involved with. And that just leads to discovering there's a Tyrannosaurus Rex in the world. And then train having a fight with a character who like gives a big speech afterward, like I am going to train 
to beat your gunsmanship. And then he never shows up again in the series. There's a shot of him at like the very end being like, he's definitely still training. You're just like, I guess this character never shows back up, uh, which is how I feel about quite a few characters. Chardon is a character with a very distinct design who has blood-based powers. He leaves the Apostles of the Stars because he's like, I hate Kronos, but I will not follow Creed in the way he's going. And I desperately expected that character to show up in some fashion, but he never shows up again in the series. He's another character who gets like a one panel shot later on. Just be like, he's still out there. We're not, who cares? But he's still out there. And uh, also there's Kyoko, who was very popular, apparently. So. Oh, yeah. Well, come on. <laughs> sexy fire schoolgirl. Yeah. The, 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 the sexy fire schoolgirl who the first two instances of power is her kissing a guy and then blowing him up internally from the inside and then yeah. licking a long pole shaft, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So she could not have a more sexual way of using the power of I have fire powers, basically. <laughs> yeah. That was... character also fucking sucks, though. I I'll, I'll note that. She's kind of boring, yeah. Well, she started off okay, because she's like Chardon in that she's like, eh, I'm not really super interested mm -hmm. in this group and its goals. Leaves the group, sees Train fucking once, decides she's in love with him, and then basically is like, I'll be a good character now. I'm never going to yep. kill anybody again. And then just leaves the story to become like a school kid, like a school girl again. And you're just like, I don't know. I feel like we could have done something a little more interesting with this character. Like... I guess she has an arc. It's just one that's kind of disappointing because she loses all agency and just starts becoming boy crazy about train. It was interesting to read this because you can see at the start like, oh, wow, Kentaro Yabaki was very different in how he approached making stuff. Mm. Like the moment Rinslet showed up, I kind of went. All right, now here's the part where like the the cheesecake fan service stuff is gonna start coming in. It's like, not really, not really, no. Um, I mean, like there is like one early uh, cheesecake shot of her in like a Santa outfit, but it's like a full length dress, and I was like, wow, you lost all sense of restraint in the past. I was gonna say he he has a singular scene of her in the shower later on in the series, and even that is like. Like, I, I feel like it could have been displayed at a Catholic school in comparison to what he does nowadays. Like, yeah. it's just like one shot and then it's done. And I was like, all right, it's just. And I do wonder if, like, it was an effect of working on To Love Rue and seeing how much more successful that series was that has kind of led him to be like, well, yeah, fucking my audience likes the way that I draw panties. So I'm going to do that in order to, you know, make some sales and do well. Um, because while black cat was not an unsuccessful series, uh, I think that to love Rue, you have to consider it to be a more profitable franchise at this point. Oh yeah. So, and speaking of which, uh, so you mentioned Eve. Yeah. She shows up in to love Rue. also showing up in to love Rue are Kyoko Tearju, Sephiria, basically like almost every sexy woman in this series shows up in some form or another in Telavru, except Rinslet, because I guess she was too important anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yabuki looked at a picture of this like statuesque big chested woman and he's just like, I can't do anything with this. I have no. <laughs> yeah, so literally, and it's what's weird about it is that literally all of those characters just show up under the same names into Love Rue. Like, 
Eve is renamed to Yami, but then you apparently at some point you find out her real name is Eve and she's got all the exact same powers and she was also created by Tearju. <laughs> the same characters. It's like, yeah, we're going to do this. And apparently, I, I, I literally was wondering about it because I knew that I was going to bring it up when we talked about it. So I looked up if there was like any sort of explanation for why they did that. And apparently, when Kentaro Yabuki started talking with, um, oh God, was this, uh, what's his name? I forget the name of the, of the author of Delovru, but apparently they just when they were playing the series, agreed that there would be a character from Black Hat that just showed up in, in Delivery. So, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. And um, it's very, it was it was just kind of, the only real conclusion I have about the series is, it's interesting as a relic of the time period that it came from, uh, from the author that it came from. Because you can see like how he started off and how it's different to stuff that he has done more recently. And also it gives you an idea into like, you know, how like a series was in Shonen Jump back then. Like just kind of a run, not completely run of the mill. I was going to say, like, especially in comparison to all of its contemporaries having to run for like eight years, nine years, ten years. Like this is a series that ran four years or so and was done. And didn't have time to change drastically over time the way that each of those did in one form or another. So if I think from now on, if I ever want to give someone a time capsule of what Shonen Jump was like in the early 2000s, this is going to be it. Like, you know, it's it's not great. It's not bad, though. And it's just like, yeah, that this feels exactly like how I kind of think of that time period of Shonen Jump. Um, so it's interesting, but in, in terms of like its independent quality, it, it did nothing about it really gr- grasped me. Um, so that's really the only way that I kind of latched onto this. I'll say the way I originally read this series was back when its volumes were still kind of being uh, translated and brought overseas. Um, In the magazine, so- yeah. Well, it wasn't even in the magazine. This was just Tonko Bomb oh, volumes, right, right, basically. Right. Yeah, because um, this wasn't in the uh, big Shonen Jump magazine that had like four chapters per series in it. Yeah, this was just volumes would come out usually once every couple months, and that's kind of how you read it. And I think that's actually probably a better way to read it than binging it in one kind of long burst, because I don't think the series... The series kind of becomes a little bit of a slog when you're reading through it in like gigantic chunks at a time. I, I never mm-hmm. read it for anything more than I think 20 chapters at a time. But even then, like when you're reading it back to back to back every day, you're like, all right, Train's not that interesting of a character. Sometimes his fights tend to bleed together. You know, I'm really tired of Creed as an antagonist, things like that. Um, but I think in the smaller chunks as a kid, it was easier to definitely be like, I'm reading this. Yeah. It's cool. And then two months are going to go by or three months, or however long it might be, and then I'm going to read another volume, and it's kind of interesting again. There is one thing I want to talk about, though. One one specific scene, and it makes me laugh. So, um, there is an arc where they have to go, Creed is in the castle, and there is a group called Cerberus, who's a part of the numbers. They're going to attack it. Three members. Uh, This guy, Janos, who has, like, 
because every, every member of Kronos is a master of a weapon. They've mastered a certain right. weapon. So the leader of the group is, uh, I don't remember his name, but he has Tomfas, and that's his weapon. And then there's Janos, who has the mid-range weapon of a glove with razor wire attached to the fingers. <laughs> you're just like, sure, whatever. And then the long-range member of the group who carries a fucking bazooka. <laughs> and he... I'm the master of the bazooka. He's a master of the bazooka. Uh, so he neglects to mention early on that his bazooka can only fire three times so he fires one shot to get them inside the castle and then a bunch of members of the apostles of the star show up and he just fucking stands there and does nothing as everyone fights around him and then he he fires his two they explain later like oh when he's not firing his weapon he can use it as a hammer but he doesn't do that very much he just yeah. kind of stands there with it and then he's the only poor fucking schmuck of the numbers to die because he couldn't kill a man with a bazooka. <laughs> and I know, I know eventually like, what happens is like Janos bl- like blocks his shot because the, the Tomfa guy was holding on to Creed to basically like, take us both out. That's the only way to get rid of this guy. And, and Janos basically is like, no, you'll kill one of our members. So he, he like dodges the last shot. But I just love how worthless you had to understand. This was like a 30 chapter arc or something like that. How long this motherfucker is just standing there with the bazooka doing nothing for so long. And you're like, is this considered the master of the bazooka? <laughs> like this is what all of your training led to is just standing around kind of looking menacing for a little bit i mean most people when they start off with a bazooka can only fire one shot yeah so <laughs> <laughs> you think that like anyone ever talked to him is like have you ever considered like carrying additional shells around <sighs> Wait a minute wait you could do that <laughs> you could carry ammunition with you also his name is beluga which is amazing so. oh, yeah there you go as I said, he's the only member of the group to die either. I, I so <laughs> clearly, the, I like like to think that the like Cerberus still has the short range and the long range, but we don't know how to take out a long range <laughs> without our bazooka user around to tackle that game. Oh, it's great times. Yep. Okay, so shall we get into other? Yes. Shonen shenanigans. Let's do it. Oh, that's a good it. word for it. Shonen shenanigans. It's the recap portion of the Manga Recap. We're going to start things off with My Hero Academia, chapter number 314, The Lovely Lady Nagant, which I don't know if... I assume that's the name yeah. of the porno expose on her that was done yeah. or something like that. Like, what else <laughs> would use that title? When she's when she's posing for Maxim or whatever. Yeah. yeah. GQ Magazine has a, a spread this month. So, last time Deku used... Um, I don't know his quirk to <laughs> he did something he did something I thought it was going to be explained this chapter it is not so <laughs> but he jumped up to where Lady Nagant was walking on the air shooting at him uh, after going up through the building and uh, he shouts out as he is trying to stop her the best way to handle a sniper is to get close I'm going to make you tell everything you know about all for one Okay, good good on you, Deku. A hero tells you what he's going to do, and then he does it. So good good on you, Deku. Uh, Lady Nagant uh, responds by retracting her sniper rifle into her arm and then snapping her body around and then growing it out again so that the barrel basically acts as like a spear uh, going into Deku's gut. So she's a... Uh, 
she's got a lot more experience than I'll just, you know, rush the sniper. So she tries, tries to shoot at Deku while saying the safety commission taught me everything I know. And so Deku questions, well, then why are you working for all for one? Uh, and Nagant uh, says, look, the only thing that you can see right now is the phony sense of order that they have manufactured. People tinged by it can't understand the truth. Deku's not doing so well because she has escaped into the darkness, uh, so he has to use his danger sense to dodge around, and he can't really find her. Uh, and she also is using her microphone bullet thing to... Uh, kind of distract Deku so she he can't tell where her voice is where she is just based on her voice where her voice is coming from she goes on to say I was exhausted after so much killing all to preserve our sham society say there was a group plotting terrorism against heroes or a hero team colluding with a gang while gaining fame and fortune when you have people like that capable of shaking the bedrock of our society law and order won't cut it they have to disappear along with their crimes and the safety mission commission gave me those classified missions. And, uh, we get a flashback, uh, to Nagant's time working for the safety commission. You can tell that it's not the current setting because she has longer hair now. Um, but, uh, it explains that, you know, there were vigilantes, uh, who played as heroes, won the people's trust and the country made them keep on doing it in order to help preserve society. Uh, and so there is that trust that people have in heroes as a result. And Nagan says, I was a cog in place to keep the system running nice and smooth, a system with two sides, a front and a back. And we see her coming across a group of villains who try to beg off saying, we haven't done anything yet. We only just started talking and she kills them all in a huge bloodbath, shooting people in the head, working as an assassin. And Nagan says the system needed both sides to maintain itself. I obeyed. I complied. I did my duty. In public, however, she was still acting as a hero. And so we see a group of kids coming out to, you know, try and shake her hand and say, hey, you're so great, including a kid who seems to have a sign of the hedgehog feet um, based off of the swirls under his body. Hell yeah. It's my favorite hero. Sonic boy. Uh, so Nagant's like, oh, OK, sure, kids. And she reaches out to shake their hands and she sees that her hand is covered in blood. Uh, and she, you know, hesitates and she realizes, of course, that she's overwhelmed by guilt while saying the system was so fragile, it made my head spin and I was exhausted. And, uh, so she was given a mission to, you know, do this whole thing, uh, again. And, uh, she says, Hey, is killing them going to actually improve society? Making people believe everything's puppies and rainbows. Is that any better than brainwashing? And the guy at the safety commission says, it's necessary. Someone must preserve the hope and truth that the front-facing heroes have built up. And I'm sure that you're aware that this isn't a job you can just walk away from. So, shot him. Uh, <laughs> it seems. And so, Deku's like, wait, you killed the president of the safety commission? That never made the news. <laughs> And Nagant's like, yeah, because if they, you know, revealed that, then it would have shattered the illusion. So they made up another story about what I had done in order to throw me in jail. And yeah, like 
no wonder she's on this she's on this tangent that's a pretty good justification i would say and her shots literally frame the page as her bullets are the uh the bar- the barrier to form the different panels in the page it's a pretty cool touch it's like this version of like t- letting you know that they're out of the flashback now it's yeah. like look there's bullets again <laughs> so she says let's say you bring back the status quo after this well then what history will just repeat itself the public gets to stargaze the bright shiny side the dark truth gnaws away at someone else at least the future ruled over by wall for one will be a hell of a lot more transparent and we see one last bit of a flashback to when Lady Nagant, as a little kid, was approached by the safety commission to do this job the same way that Hawks was when he was a kid. And uh, it gives you a lot more insight into the kind of shit that Hawks has probably been having to do for a long time now. Mm-hmm. Not just when he couldn't avoid killing uh, twice and the other stuff. Uh, Deku manages to finally figure out exactly where Nagant is and so he launches a black whip with pinpoint focus and uh, launches it she manages to dodge just beside it but it hits the building behind her and Deku starts reeling himself in like Batman with a grappling hook and uh, he says as he flies towards her very quickly but still able to get out this entire paragraph so honestly she probably could have shot him while he was a sitting duck maybe I was ignorant but I'm starting to see things clearly. It's not all black and white. Most things in the world are shades of gray, a blend of fear and anger, and, which is exactly why I've got to lend a helping hand. And Nagant's like, okay, that phony education's done wonders for you. Uh, she notices that he has dodged to protect his joints, which I don't know exactly how that works because we don't really see him dodge, but okay. Uh, so she says, all right, then how about if he has one more thing to think about? Uh, and she whirls around and does something, which I believe is to just point her gun at a figure on the distant roof because overhaul's still up there. And Deku realizes Chisaki as he is, you know, just kind of running around yelling about the boss still. So... Again, a l- little bits of this fight scene are kind of confusing to me, but this backstory of Nagant is like, yeah, that's really compelling, and it's you know interesting to have this side of things explored. I kind of wish that this weren't. It, it, this feels like it's just going to end up being dressing, you know? Like we're not going to deeply explore into specifically the stuff that the safety commission has been responsible for. It seems more like it's just going to be like the hero world needs to change, just because. So. Yeah, um, I, I could objectively look like step back and say this is a cool character that they're giving a cool story to and everything like that. Uh, I have found myself unable to get super invested in my hero in a little bit. Um, so I do enjoy it in chunks, but um, I know a lot of people are super, super into this and I'm I'm not able to quite match their enthusiasm. Um, but I, I do appreciate that we're getting... Um, another interesting little character study in the mix of everything else. We need to just get back to Lady of uh, League of Villains shenanigans, don't we? That's what that's what was good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I just want I want to go back to try to think when I was happiest reading my hero. Uh, where Bakugo just completely curb stomped one B. Yeah, let's just go back. Does that Bakugo show one up and just explode her out of the air? Just 
fucking kaboom. No one cares. <laughs> that's what Bob Good needs to say. But she made it into the school based on a recommendation. No one cares. <laughs> yeah. Lady Nagat has this tragic backstory. Who gives a shit? Boom. <laughs> Blasts her down to the ground. <laughs> it's just our way of dealing with anything that like we're just not really interested in. It's like, this, this character's backstory has been going on for three chapters. And I don't care. All right. <laughs> Deal with it. Bob shows up and blows him up. <laughs> Okay. Well, all right, Nick, let's move on and let's talk about Undead Unluck, Chapter 56. You have my thanks. So we get 65, the res- yes. 65. Yes, uh, we get the first annual character popularity poll results. Yes. Uh, not surprising. Andy and Fuko are first and second. Uh, third place is Anna Unno, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, Chen was fourth. Which is a little surprising, considering they just killed him. So, <laughs> be shows up differently that. on this page than uh, yeah. what he was voted for. Yeah, uh, Juez fifth. Uh, uh, Gina actually, uh, the original Unchanged is sixth, and then uh, Rip, Tatiana, Billy, and then uh, Mui wrapping up the top ten. Hey, surprisingly, when we got in the top ten, I wasn't expecting that. She um, deserves it. She's great. Yeah, I will be curious to see what the rest of that top ten is. We don't see that in this chapter so maybe we have to find out at a different point uh yeah. but we open back up where uh shen has been killed and turned into a Shangxi uh under mui's control and he says oh well you know it's weird all i did was die and come back to life but i'm positive as it stands i'm the strongest i've ever been so we pick right up back there uh it's where nice of, uh, it's nice that uh we get his new design and then the next chapter we get his new color scheme just immediately yeah. here you go <laughs> yeah here you go this is definitely what you want uh, so Mui starts by being like, did, like, does it hurt? Do you remember everything? Like, do you even know who I am? And he's just like, nope, I haven't forgotten anything. Don't worry. I'm still the same person. My skin is just a little bit bluer. Also, I automatically protect my master whenever they're in danger and I can't act on my own unless my master orders me to. But that's it. And Mui's just like, what the fuck? That's a lot, actually. Uh, so Fang is just like, who cares? You, you should have just died. I don't know why you're doing all this. Uh, and Andy's just like, hey, as long as we've still got Untruth, we can beat this guy. We, we've got to hurry, though, because Summer's really close to evolving, so let's 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 do this. They they work in together. Uh, Feng just says, this ought to kill enough time for, these thing, for this thing to reach phase two. Struggle all you might, but know this. No number of weaklings could ever beat a dragon. Interesting well, that yeah. they're also kind of fighting on top of a dragon right now as yeah. well. I mean, you know, it depends on like how what your party balance is and how well they get in position for the different phases. So, you know, I mean, it more depends on, you know, if everyone's properly coordinated on uh, if their weaklings are strong. So, oh, I was taking it as you just need to make sure you have like a, a couple ice types or a fairy type in your party. That's like <laughs> dragons are garbage against like a, like a fucking couple flower Pokemon or whatever bullshit they came out with later. Jens, you just throw a couple of those and dragon can't do shit. Or, you know, you just have your your front uh, Pokemon spam double team until it can't be hit. And then you just use Toxic. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) you do the old standby strategy of uh, trying to raise this Pidgey up and you just sand attack 100 times. And you're just like, all right, now I'm going to peck you for the next 10 minutes. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Uh, So we see uh, Fang kicks up a big dust cloud. They're like, ah, he's trying to block out on truth. But we pulls out a fan blows all the dust away they're like oh time to lay untruth on him 
but uh, it doesn't seem to work quite right. There's there's something going on here, and Fang kind of knocks them both away. And he's like, oh, you can't use your flip-flop trick from earlier? And Shen's like, ah, yeah, I technically died there, so I don't have untruth anymore, as we were kind of theorizing before. Uh, when you die, you know, transfer your powers to gate, you know, negate your powers transfer to somebody else. But it was untruth that just stopped the both of you, wasn't it? So that means someone else must have it. And they look over to Mui and they're like, you're the only person who could get one. All the rest of us have a power. So they're like, all right, summer's starting to change. Let's do it. You know, Fang's just gloating like, ha 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 ha. The four great UMAs from just before Ragnarok. I dare say about time for a taste test. And he looks over and he sees everyone's come back up. He's like, oh, they they look like they're sure they're going to beat me. But your one chance of a victory, untruth is gone. None of you stand a chance. And Fang uh, hears someone call out to them. He looks up and it's Mui and says, I must say you have my thanks. It's because of you that I can now bear one of Master Shen's burdens. That egotistical strength of yours. In Master Shen's stead... I will negate you. And she activates untruth. And we get our big untruth two-page spread power activation, basically. As Shen basically like kind of jumps in and does like a big attack right to the middle and fucking just blows Shen a fang away. <laughs> like he just there's like a gigantic like uh dust spread. You just see like uh him shooting across the spine of the dragon. And uh he just says, Ooh, Fang, you're strong. You might even be the strongest in the world, but you know what? That is all you are. And that's how we end the chapter. Cool chapter. Yeah. Uh, and hey, we got her got her dream from like chapter four or something. <laughs> so pretty nice. pretty early on, yeah. Uh, so this this definitely helps justify a couple things because I was like, oh, they're gonna be gone, a team member, and everything like that. Um, but, uh, now they would technically just be able to add her to the council, although she would become, like, mm -hmm. member 13 or whatever, because your rank is based off of how you've actually helped. Although they don't have the table right now either, so it might be a moot It doesn't point. really matter. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool thing here, I am really still hoping, like, I'm just like, Feng has a negator power, we just don't know what yet, so I'm curious yeah. to see what that is, but I really do like the, 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 the showcase for Untruth. It is a very cool panel. I always get really hyped when they do like a big this is my power kind of un you know whatever you are two page spread or whatever it's also a very good way of indicating like yeah she's using that power because she has to look at the person and we've only ever really seen her with her eyes closed except for where she looks like a badass right there yeah so yeah good stuff good times Kaiju number eight, chapter 35, the council general guy, whatever his position is, Shinomiya, uh, is trying to kill Kafka because he thinks that he is purely Kaiju number eight. And he has just made the point that you stopped bullets with your bare skin. You're not a human. Uh, Kafka insists, I'm not Kaiju number eight. I'm Kafka. Okay. Fair enough. So Shinomiya uh, takes out a weapon. Uh, that has is like sealed in a box uh, that requires like clearance to activate. He clamps onto his arm and it starts synchronizing with him. Driver and Kaiju number two's cell synchronization cleared. Uh, and he says to Kaka, you can die in that form. Now commencing disposal of Kaiju number eight. And he 
bashes his fist together and he's got these like drivers, these rods of sorts that are that go over his forearms. And so Kafka's thinking to himself, I won't fully transform. I'm gonna prove that I'm a human. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Immediately, uh Shinomiya swings his arm down and this like wave of energy in the form of a hand comes swiping down. It rips off Kafka's transformed arm in one blow and leaves these big claw marks in the ground behind it. Uh Shinomiya starts launching more attacks. He's basically like shooting energy uh, from his arms in the form of, a t- of martial arts attacks. Um, and he starts getting talked up by the guy who's watching the proceedings with Ki- uh, with Kikoru. He was hailed in the past as the strongest soldier the defense force has ever seen. In other words, he's going to fuck Kafka up. Kafka has to transform further. He's not all the way transformed, but he's getting pretty close to it because he has to or else he's going to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Shinomiya observes like, yeah, you look a lot more like a, like a kaiju now. Uh, so Kafka's just like, okay, I'll just dodge the director general until he overheats. I won't fight back. Uh, he notes that his body's reacting strangely. And he's like, it's just like when I faced off against the Dai Kaiju. And of course it's because the director general is using the power of a Dai Kaiju. And he looks towards the general and he sees this massive aura uh, in his place uh, with like the mouth of a beast in front and the huge blazing aura of Shinomiya behind it. Uh, we get some more stuff talking up the weapon now that Shinomiya is using, saying that, oh, it was incredibly destructive. And so the suit and the arms that he's using were all built with number two at its base. And the only person capable of wielding them is your father. Isao Shinomiya, who uh, punches off Kafka's other arm. The first one grew back. Um, so Kafka is trying to deal with these weapons. You're like, oh my God, this is what Kikaru was talking about. This is the power of these numbered weapons. Uh, and so another attack comes towards him as he's now getting attacked up close. And he's like, all right. I can't take this. I've got to dodge. And his legs and his left arm just get blown off all in one blow. And uh, obviously with his legs missing, he doesn't really have the chance to dodge anymore. So he just looks at Shinomiya with a very bizarrely sort of comedic look on his face and goes, ah, damn it all. Ah, drat. (laughs) And then he gets punched right in the torso. So things aren't looking good for Kafka. We will see how this whole fight plays out tomorrow. Yeah. The chapter comes out. Uh, I think the, the director has been made to look like quite the imposing threat. Uh, I do like the world building idea that there are these weapons called the numbers, which are built off of the bodies of the other Dai Kaiju. So presumably we'll eventually be introduced to the one built off of uh, Kaiju number 10 somewhere down the line. Um, or whatever parts of it, I guess, survived it exploding to death in midair. And eventually, perhaps, rank-up magic will be introduced, and we'll get the chaos numbers. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think of a way to escalate this gag, but I can't, so I guess we're stopping at chaos numbers. It's okay. Uh, I don't really know anything else about Yu-Gi-Oh's Exo lore, so that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> Spy Family, Mission 47. Of course, last time, there was a knock on the door, a very ominous knock on the door, as yours, There's a knock Prime. on my door. 
Someone's waiting for you. Do, 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 do. Something, 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 his and hers and hers and something and the neighbor dude. It's three companies. Okay. I... <laughs> Come on, you haven't, you never got stuck at your grandma's house and there's nothing to do, so you just had to watch fucking old ass sitcoms? My grandma had cable. Oh, okay. Fucking Richie Rich over there. All right. <laughs> and just reached the point where the other thing, it was like that or fucking NFL, which you didn't like at the time. Harumph. Anyway, so there was someone knocking. And so Yor goes to look through the peephole to see who it is. Oh, hey, it's room service. And so Yor is briefly uh, relieved. And then her target says, I didn't order anything. And, of course, immediately Yor reacts and she pushes her out of the way as bullets come flying through the door as an assassin is after them. Uh, the kid's crying because, oh, come on, you know, it's just a, just just an assassination attempt. That's, you know, just, just bullets are flying into your house and destroying everything. You know, quit being bang, a crybaby. Bang, yeah. Um, yeah. A bunch of loud noises and suddenly a baby starts freaking out. Yeah. Uh, the assassin reloads his gun and tries to take up a position while trying to get into the room when suddenly a dart sticks into both of his hands as coming down the hall, it's director McMahon who took some darts from the bar for this purpose. You know, just cause he just, he was running down the hallway. He's like, I'll find a cheap way to dispose of this person. Yes, he's Director McMahon, so that's this is who he is now. So, <laughs> I mean, we had to. He just, as he's running down the hall, he's like, cut a bunch oh, more people! <laughs> Let them all go. I don't care. Def- fire one half of every tag team! <laughs> just I don't care which half! Just do it! Click. Uh... So, of course, the assassin turns to point his gun towards Director McMahon and the guy who is with him. And a fucking hairpin murders this man. He's dead. He is fucking so dead. dead. He he is impaled to the wall like like uh, when I used to play Fallout Three and I take the railway rifle and you just shoot like a like a super mutant's head into a wall and it sticks there afterwards. He's fucking dead. And you're through this hairpin. Through the door and left a giant hole in his. And it's so weird. This man is murdered and paled into the wall, and she fucking comes in with the just like, uh, don't you be using wet like the Marge sense and like, I'm afraid to ask you to not make so much noise around the baby. It's just like fucking Jesus, lady, you murdered that man. So it's nice to occasionally be reminded that yes, your is stupid strong. <laughs> Um, if there's ever been a panel in any manga we've ever covered that deserves a wasted caption, <laughs> that's sh- embedded in the wall. Like his knocks him off his feet. There is, is no way uh, to read that other than that dude has been wasted. So, uh, they wrap up the body and hide it inside the room. And so McMahon and Yor start strategizing or McMahon rather is like, okay, here's what we're going to do and tells everyone what to do basically. Um, and he says, okay, uh, leave here, take these three to a vacant room in second class. I'm going to meet up with you later. He calls, uh, uh guest services saying, oh yes, uh, I, I'd like to change rooms here. Um, 
So what's, they start- what's your current problem with the room, ma'am? Like, oh, there's a dead body hanging from across the hall, nailed to the wall. It's uh, across my room. It's really, un- it's really unnerving. He takes the blame for breaking the door, saying my wife and I had a little spat, but that is a big ass hole in the wall in the door. Look, so I my most recent job was I worked at a hotel. The guests did things to the rooms occasionally. One time, this girl who was almost certainly um, an escort, uh, one of her clients apparently while he was in the bathroom, just decided to punch the bathroom door and left a bunch of holes in the bathroom door (laughs) just just because (laughs) he wasn't angry. He just did it. (laughs) Look at that jerk. People are weird. They damage stuff sometimes. Like, so. Um. We cut to the guy who was listening in on everything in a very normal manner. Uh, and he reports to the guy who is apparently coordinating all these hits to say, yeah, uh, I lost contact with the knocker. That means that the person who was in that room is our target. Uh, and he's like, OK, so I think that there's at least three of them. And he just gives a bunch of information. They've changed rooms, but it's probably a decoy and stuff. We joined this group. And apparently it is actually not the way that the one hitman that McMahon almost certainly killed last chapter. He broke all of his limbs and threw him off of a boat. Like he's probably he's dead. probably done for. Um, apparently it's not the way that he said where it's a race because this guy who is wearing a very comfy looking turtleneck and glasses uh, says, yeah, we all need to work together. No fighting amongst ourselves. The bounty will be split evenly. There is a very huge reward for this. So we'll all be handsomely reward if we split it all. But some random guy is just like, well, that sounds like a hassle. Why don't we just, you know, race to see who does it? And someone stabs him through the ear. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently Turtleneck Man is the sniper from Team Fortress 2 because he's like, I'm an assassin, not a psychopath. And, uh, so they throw this guy off of the boat, too. There's, there's going to be a trail of bodies floating in the water after this luxury cruise. All these people being tossed overboard after being killed. You see, uh, this is actually tactical on their part. Because of the way this man's teeth are shaped, they're actually going to think he's some weird <laughs> blend of shark. And uh, won't actually ever be traced back to the boat because everyone's just going to be like, another dead shark in the water. Good. And it's a guy who watched Jaws one too many times as a child and just assumes all sharks are actually that evil. <laughs> so, like, the police chief, who obviously works with the <laughs> ITLC division, is just like, good, I'm glad that shark died. And then he, he tells them to set fire to the ocean so that they can burn <laughs> the shark's corpse. They just kind of like do it occasionally. Like it's it's fine. Like he doesn't realize how pointless it is. <laughs> Set fire to the ocean. No evidence. All right, boss. <laughs> okay, boss. I'll throw another match on it. All right. <laughs> Wait, is that shark's corpse still alive? Team it up with a human detective. <laughs> they are partners now. They cover vice. <laughs> no arson. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, Bruce, what do you think happened here? <laughs> Bruce, you know, I'm not picking up your weight here. 
God damn it. <laughs> Please the chief. best detective that I've ever worked with, but sometimes I don't think that you're really dedicated to this line of work. <laughs> the police chief looking from afar being like, yes, excellent. This is the only way you can trust a truck is by making him a detective. <laughs> oh, dear. What a weird world we live in. <laughs> so... Turtle Neck Glasses guy just goes back to, you know, direct everyone, and he's just like, just don't draw attention to yourselves. Um, he gets in contact with the surveillance guy, and he said he's refers to him as their ops man and says, you'll have to share everything you hear, no matter how trivial, right? You know, we've we paid you a lot for this. And he's like, yeah, I sell information equally. Good luck getting ahead of everyone. So it seems like, honestly, like a very specific wording for what he said. I sell information equally. So maybe this guy is going to not just be an antagonistic force in this arc. We'll see. We cut to uh, Yor and the shoddy group uh, who are all wearing masks because they're on their way to a masquerade ball so that they can blend in with the crowd. And um, the guy playing shoddy's husband who does not understand any of this hitman business. Um, clearly, that is like his entire character is like, don't these masks make us look more conspicuous? And Yor has to tell him, we're heading to a masquerade ball. <laughs> Everyone will be wearing masks. That's the point. I mean, it is a little strange the baby's wearing the mask, but still, you know, I guess if you were at a masquerade and you saw a baby come in without a mask, you'd be like, get that fucking baby out of here! It's a goddamn masquerade ball! Fuck you! <laughs> They're rationally angry. <laughs> Get that fucking maskless baby out of here! What the fuck? I don't care that you might risk suffocating it! <laughs> so... Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, Yoris then says, like, hey, don't freak out, I'm pretty sure we're being followed. I am shocked that Shadi's husband guy did not turn around immediately at that moment because... Followed?! <laughs> What do you mean we're being followed by an assassin who might kill us? Someone's following behind us? Uh, so Yor says, yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to try and, uh, and lose him. Okay, here we are in the ballroom. And she immediately senses like, oh, no, there's assassins that are blending with this crowd because she can sense their bloodlust because she has super hitman instincts. Uh, you know, she she holds down the trigger and she can immediately see who all is armed within the crowd. Mm, she has <laughs> the little dots to let her know, she, know who they are. She has a little Batman sense, basically. That is essentially what the mechanic is. The new Hitman games are very good. Uh, so um, she realizes, I mean, I could just kill them, but that's going to draw a lot of attention and like the ship will turn around if there is a noticed incident. So there is actually a very hitman game thing going on here. Like don't just achieve your objectives. Don't draw attention to yourself because it will be bad and the mission will fail. Uh, so she manages to spot uh, a guy who's trying to, uh, who's planning to prick uh, some, one of them with a poison needle on his finger. And she just goes to the husband playing guy. And it's like, can I borrow this? And just swipes a button off of his coat. And, somehow knocks the man out with it. <laughs> yeah, she catches him in like a pressure point right in his neck and fucking knocks him straight out. 
it, it is it is funny because people immediately are just like, all right, sir, you clearly had enough to drink. We're cutting you off. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be great if she impaled his head into the wall with another hairpin, and then the guy, the waiter, still came by, was like, sir, you've clearly had too much. Like his his legs dangling off the floor, and they just take a champagne glass out of his hand, like, sir, you've had too much. We're cutting you off here. You're fine. <laughs> um, another assassin is observing them from around a pillar, and he's rightfully like, what the fuck did she do? She knocked out a man with a button. Um, another guy just tries to take the insanely direct route of, I'm just going to grab her. I'm just going to grab the target and bum rush through this crowd and do it. But your intercepts him. And grass hands with him, and it's like, oh, you want to dance? Okay, but I have to say, I'm a terrible dancer, and also, I'm a married woman, so, you know, it wouldn't be right. And she mangles his hands in her deadly vice grip, and then chops him across the chin so that he slumps over into a chair, too. He is also drunk. He's fine. So, um, and uh, then she's like, okay, I think that we've lost them. Let's get de- uh, into the second class area. We cut to a lower deck where Anya is shopping with Lloyd, and she's like, ooh, a skeleton keychain. I want it. I want it. I want it. I want it. She, she starts being a six-year-old, and you know, she's like, Lloyd doesn't immediately buy it for her, so she start, starts throwing a fit and rolling around on the ground. Lloyd is kind of caught up in like, hey, you know, things are kind of suspicious around here. I'm noticing listening devices, and there are weird groups on here. But as Anya starts making a scene, uh, these two... passers-by are just like oh you should just buy it for her and Lloyd's like oh no I'm drawing attention to myself and people are going to think that I'm not a normal parent so maybe they'll suspect that I'm a spy and my cover will be blown Uh, but uh, the the keychain is really stupid and worthless (laughs) (laughs) so Anya, who can, of course, read all this mind, is eventually like, all right, maybe I don't need it if you're going to make such a big deal out of this. Um, However, then she starts hearing the thoughts of another one of the hitmen that is after your and company and who looks like he. So this man is is Rasputin, like it's Rasputin in like a coat. (laughs) He's got wild eyes and really wild hair, so. Um, he says that he's going to flog them to death and every last dog will go to all sickle and chain Barnaby. And of course, Anya can hear all of these thoughts. And, uh, he then sees that this man is going to go and try and kill Yor. So she thinks, oh no, the hitman's going to battle mama. She doesn't know what flog means. So she imagines the guy throwing a frog at her because <laughs> he's going to frog her to death. Yep. And then she thinks, okay, and then Mama will kick him in the face because she hates frogs, clearly. But then (laughs) she imagines Lloyd seeing this being like, you're, you're a hitman and you hate frogs? I am leaving you. The Forger family is over. And I'll abandon on you. (laughs) (laughs) I do like how she has to imagine that part because he's like, she's like, oh, well, I have to make sure that he would abandon me as well. (laughs) That's how every terrifying thing would go. So Anya realizes how bad the situation is. And Lloyd comes over to her and is like, hey, it's, it's okay, Anya. 
I'll buy you this keychain, okay? It'll be a special memento of our time on this on the ship. And I just chose him and shouts, "Who cares about that right now? You fool! <laughs> we have so much pressing, more pressing details to keep track of." So, you're you had a really good showing this week. Anya's still far and away the best character in this series. <laughs> She's just too great. I did. So I'll, I'll say this. I have been having difficulties getting into Spy Family for a while now. It's basically been a, a long stretch before I really was like super excited for the next chapter of this series. The same way I was when like we first started recapping it. But this is the first chapter in a very long time that I was like, this was phenomenal from beginning to end. Like the, your stuff is very cool. How much of an action cool character she gets to look like. And again, she fucking impales a man's head into a wall with a spike is very cool. Uh, and then Anya coming in and having like a great, hilarious moment. You know, I, I love Lloyd being like, Oh no, everyone like it's, it's very good joke at Lloyd's expense because he's supposed to be such a smart character, but he's so obsessed with this thing that he thinks everyone's going to be like oh no my child is crying for a toy they're going to think that i'm a bad father and that i'll be found out as an agent like it's a very funny thing for him and then just ends on a great joke i will say there is one issue i have with this and that is uh when anya is on the ground screaming and crying because she wants it uh those old women walk by and are just like oh what a cutie i was like i've never seen an adult of any kind walk past a child having a tantrum and they're just thinking to themselves like what a cute little kid and that's never happened that you would feel for the parent certainly but i've never seen somebody be like oh what a cute kid you'd be like oh, fuck, thank god that's not mine yeah or they'd be like come on shut, shut your fucking kid up <laughs> this kid not just a fucking does, do they need air when, when do they get air when do they stop crying to get air I specifically came on this cruise to get away from screaming children, and you're ruining my vacation. <laughs> but a very good chapter, I feel like. So, good times. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, I should note, this is where we normally talk about Eden Zero. However, Comixology at this point does not have the newest chapter of Eden Zero up. No. I have heard vaguely what happens in it, uh, but it looks like we'll probably be in for uh, due for a double chapter probably next week. Yeah. Uh, because there's it's... no chapter right now. Nothing that you can't cover briefly yeah. with another chapter. I've, I've, I've read on Crunchyroll, so no big deal. So, so that's our plan for next time. Uh, yeah. So instead, we're going to use that extra time we saved not talking about Eden Zero to add in. Talk about ITLC. Nick, I'm going to so, I'm going to go over to my ITLC bank that shows how much time we have to talk about it. It's right now. It's like averaging about five minutes or so and i'm gonna slam this button and it's gonna add like add all that extra time into it and i'm gonna i'm gonna hit it a couple more times i'm just gonna be like fuck elusive samurai fuck black clover we'll just we'll cover all that i want to spend all that time on itlc chapter 17 plan so what what did i say i were my hopes for this chapter last time chris do you remember i do not i said I hope that they spend an ungodly amount of time the entire chapter explaining how things happened. And I hope it's the most obvious shit possible. And guess what? <laughs> that is pretty much what we got in this chapter with a few things added on top of all that. So if you recall last time, the brilliant plan to deceive not Sonya from the latest generation of Pokemon, the Phantom Thief Mar, and 
trick her and entrap her as she tried to rob the museum was finally snapped and her escape helicopter was actually being piloted by Ms. Ayawi. So Mar is shocked by this and she's like, how much of this did you already have planned? And we get this little brief chibi frame of Ms. Ayawi going tee hee hee. And then she says, it all started shortly before you made your appearance at the precinct, Ms. Mar. And this is the only part of this entire chapter where I'm like, oh, that's nice to know that there was actually something in place. This actually does kind of make Ms. Ayoi out to be very capable and intelligent, that she was actually two steps ahead of Mar literally the entire time. It's a good, you know, thing. I don't think that it's executed especially well, but this should be the way that things go in this kind of heist storyline. I had a plan that was actually two steps ahead of what you thought it was the entire time. Things like they looked like they were going badly for us, but really they were exactly how I wanted them to be. I was in control. That's how these things should play out. So we see that um, Ms. Aoi is doing research on Mar after learning about the thief. And uh, Ms. Aoi is like, huh, this is really interesting. You know, why, why is, why, why is this thief stealing the Mona Lisa? They're going to have a big target on their back and I want to find out about them. I want to find out about you phantom thief Mar. And uh, so um, then she investigates and says, oh, Mar has a website on the dark web called Mart. Okay. <laughs> it seems the four members upload footage of their own heists. I guess this site is my only way to connect with Mr. Mar, huh? Alrighty then. And uh, then it turns out that... That weird, completely forgotten detail from the beginning of this arc where Sakan was misplacing a couple of things occasionally and we thought it was just because he was an idiot because he is. Uh -huh. No, Ms. Aoi was actually just sneaking into his house while he was sleeping and taking concerning photographs of him while he slept to prove that she was robbing him in the middle of the night. <laughs> She she steals his giant Toblerone and then films him while he's basically half naked and is just like, look what I've done. Yep. <laughs> and so we get a recap of the bit where Sakoma's like, I've been misplacing stuff recently. Did thieves break into my house? And I was just like, I'm sure that you just, you know, lose stuff in the pigsty of that is your apartment. Uh, and Ms. I was like, I mean, I've been trying to get Mars attention this whole time. But all I can do is get the key to the site's back door. Oh, is that all? Is that oh, all? That's all. <laughs> I suppose meeting Mr. Mar isn't going to be easy after all. And then, of course, Mar randomly announced her presence and showed up. And then I was like, oh, is this fate? Oh, I should have worn a cuter outfit. Oh, come on. God has helped bring us together. You can't be shy now. Time to be brave. And then they started getting very suggestive, but... All their clothes were on, at least, so it's it's tasteful suggestedness. So it's fine. Um, we call that a bra we call that a brawlities. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then we just kind of get a brief montage of you know the first heist and how they failed to catch her and stuff. And so Ms. I always left to think like, okay, so she got away. I guess this is what she was recruiting the truck drivers for through the back door of her site. Like, 
this was too easy, isn't it? Like, you can just figure out what she's planning to do if you do this, which is, by the way, the twist. How did Ioe found out about this stuff and be one step ahead of Mar? She went on her website on the dark web. <laughs> That's it. That's how she did everything. Everything. So then she's like, huh, she had one more listing for a job on the site. And the only person I can rely on to make this work is the guy who splits people in half. So she went to Mr. Wan. And apparently the note that she passed him said, what I need from you, a helicopter, Mr. Wan subordinates. Ooh, I'm so glad we've had the reveal now of what she wrote down, which was stuff she could have said very briefly. <laughs> but we didn't, you know, we get to see the drawing and that's really like the, the twist in all of this is being like, oh, she draws little chibi characters of herself and Sakan on things. Um, I'm surprised she didn't draw Sakan with his head stuck in a honeypot or something because he's a big dumb idiot. <laughs> but you know, I guess she will. I, I guess at that point they would have assumed he would have tried to eat his way out of the honeypot. So he would have tried to uh, to lift it off. Yeah, just, barbell curls on the honeypot. <laughs> so, um, Ms. Iowa's plan is okay. I've got this account on on Ms. Mars' uh, dark website, so you can say that you're the person from that account, and then we'll use your resources in order to pull this on her. And so we see, again, Juan meeting with Mar and, okay, yeah. Um, and then she says, I have proof of your crimes, your headshot, and your address in the palm of my hand. With a single tap, I could post your info to the forums. Whatever would my ardent followers do to such a traitor if you were to turn against me? So Mr. Juan just says, I won't deceive you. My men will help the best they can. What can I do for you? Uh, I mean, you did deceive her, but okay, whatever. <laughs> so, so then she's like, so then Juan is talking with Sakan later and is like, where is Ioi? And Sakan's like, she took a nap and then ran off somewhere. Quit drawing a line down my face because you want to split me in half. That's your thing. <laughs> uh, it's now there's an issue with this panel. Sakan just seems to be reading a book, which yes. should not grow his muscles in any way. And I feel to stay true to it, he should have been like, like, like crushing a watermelon between his hands or something like that. Trying to tear the book in half. Maybe yeah. he's reading a book about how to build muscles. And at the same time, or this is maybe the more interesting, maybe the book is sort of like a spring built. So you actually have to pry the book open and then, like, it's it's like a strength, like a grip test to actually keep it open. So that's what he's doing. Okay. Yeah, that, yeah. This makes more sense now. It makes more sense. Okay. We, we fixed it. All right. Mong's better now. All right. So. <laughs> the is good now. I, hey, hey, guys. I tell Steve's good now. <laughs> I came up with headcanon that changed one inconsequential scene for it. So Juan goes over why this has been so easy, which is, yeah, we had my men just... Join the staff of the museum so that she could really easily steal everything instead of, you know, catching her in the middle of the act. But I guess Miss Ayo is not actually just trying to arrest Mar. She's trying to have her whole thing with her first. So whatever. So 
Um, then it turns out that they specifically installed the hooks on the ceiling so that she could walk on them with her stupid shoes. And at least Arikasa is like, oh, yeah, those hooks that they're installing are probably how she walked on the ceiling in the truck. See, like this. And yeah, <laughs> so that's how Sakan knew about it. It was because someone t- took pity on him and told him how it worked. So then Sakan's like, well, how will she get into the museum? And Juan says, my men have that handled as well. Actually, why don't you just arrest her now? Because apparently she was hiding in a crate that just got put somewhere. So Sakan says in response to that, I don't think she'd allow it. And then we... It hasn't... Miss Aoi hasn't gone through her whole gimmick yet, so we can't do it. And then we get two pages telling us things that we already knew from the last chapter that were summed up in approximately one panel, which were... We came up here while you were inside the building and replaced the tile that had the magnet on it. Okay. And so Ms. Iowa's plan from all of this is then Ms. Mahar and I can finally be alone. So she sets the helicopter down on a beach somewhere and leads Mar over to a four-poster bed on the middle of the beach. And she says, this is Mr. Wan's private beach. No one will disturb us here. Let's talk, shall we? And she poses coyly on the bed and is trying to like pose all sexy. She's like, come here. And there are many things about this panel that make you go, that doesn't look right. But I want to ignore all of that to instead just go, she goes, come here. And Marge is like, no. (laughs) (laughs) The chapter ends. So she says, what? So you blew your chance to arrest me just so we could be alone? And Mizawa is like, yes. So Mar pulls a gun on her. (laughs) And she says, well, I can't show mercy if you plan on arresting me. There are goals I want to accomplish. I don't intend on getting caught yet. But Mizawa says, no, I will be arresting you. Right, Ms. Mamie Kaizuka? See, most of the pieces you stole belong to Mr. Garo Kaizuka. You're his granddaughter, aren't you, Ms. Mar? Which means his son, your father, Mr. Kaito Kaiska, created Phantom Thief Mar. And you can tell from not Sonia's facial expressions that, oh, she's hit the nail on the head. She's exactly right about everything she's just said. Because she's going, how did you know about that? Uh, and now that she's revealed all this information, Mizawa says, would you mind if I talked more about what I know of you? And so... I know that all this is supposed to be like, oh, but. Who's Garo Gairo- Kaizuka? Oh, Was they, did, were did, they brought up? Did we, forget, did we forget to mention that she's been specifically stealing kind of like one type of art? Because that feels like that would have been a very important yeah. part of this, <laughs> this mystery. It's not a mystery. If you don't establish details ahead of time, like the stuff, the stuff with Sakan stuff going missing and then revealing that Mizai was actually stealing that in order to get onto Mars forum. Okay. That is a good callback to information that was established before. But all this stuff is just like, I know who this is and who this is and how you're not the original fan of Thief Mar. And it's just like, was this brought up before? Uh, apparently people are saying it was established. They did say it at some point. Okay. <laughs> well, 
Which uh, does make it feel like this twist should have been more obvious to a bunch of people. Like, well, oh, why are they stealing this one person in particular's art? But I guess no one else was like, well, I should use the internet and just <laughs> real quick type some things up and see. May I say how he's the only person? That's her true ability. Next, she stalks the internet. Yeah. You can do anything if you just join a forum that a criminal uses to plan all their schemes. Publicly. And they really put LinkedIn job. They, <laughs> but they literally use it like fucking. What's that one site that you can get? A oh, bunch of people to, like, for nothing? Fi- like Fiverr or one of those sorts of yeah. things. Craigslist. Yeah, it's like look, seeking person to do a crime with me. <laughs> <laughs> I do nothing to vet the people that I <laughs> work with. I mean, yes, it was on the dark web, which is very difficult. This again, this police uh, precinct, which is run primarily by idiots, <laughs> should th- like none of them have figured it out. None of them have like like all of them are just like dark web. That sounds kind of spooky. I don't want to. <laughs> like, is that a place that you that you can only log on to after eight p.m. when it's bedtime? <laughs> yeah, I have to get a full eight hours sleep, or else my my muscles won't grow. <laughs> And like, God damn it! I mean, I can't argue with this stupid logic because it is sick on it. It does make sense for him. Uh, so, in ways, this chapter is worse than I was hoping it would be, and better because it's lame, which is great. Um, there are stupid Mizaoi character moments, which are fine. Uh, there is a little bit of stuff that makes her seem clever, which is nice and surprising. But then most of the explanations for how she accomplished everything are really stupid. I use the internet, and that's basically it. <laughs> there's there's a lot of silly stuff and like stuff that's still I still don't like. I'm waiting for like the end twist, like how they actually catch her is like I don't know. There's like a like a, a a fucking beam in her shoes or something. Like I don't know why they've spent so much time on these fucking hooks and the shoes. You could cut them out, and it adds. You you lose nothing. Like again, you just write the story slightly differently, and it all stays the same. I don't know why they were like the heroes knew all about the hooks from the very. They're the ones who put them in there, and I'm like, yeah, fucking obviously. It feels like they should have been. It feels like it should be very easy for the cops to just go on the website for this woman and just control everything, like to just set up fake people to do all the jobs and then very easily catch her because it is a stupid way to get help. So, I mean, I will fully admit, like, like, yes, we did not remember certain really small details that were established in brief panels of like, oh, this person's been getting all their art stolen. That's just kind of it. But the amount of focus other things have gotten is kind of ridiculous in terms of how inconsequential they have ended up being. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, the amount of time that has been spent on the hooks, because we first saw them in the truck. Then she used them again in the museum. Then they came into play when they explained the magnet thing. And now they've been brought up a fourth time. Four different chapters of this so far 17 chapter series. It's like almost every chapter of this entire arc has brought up the hook, the hooks and the holes in her shoes. Which means unless in the next chapter there is a confrontation on a cliff and a random rock that happens to be shoe slot shaped digs into her foot and she trips and falls off the side and dies, ah! then it was all pointless. <laughs> well, Nick, I want to talk something about pointless as well. Okay. Uh, it turns out there actually is a chapter of Eden Zero on comicsology. Oh, It's just okay. the two 
color. Like, basically, the way it works is you have to click borrow, which looks the exact same as read. So it's just uh, I just missed it there. So I apologize for that. Uh, but let's real quick talk about chapter 145, then, if that's all right. Uh, yes. Which is Hamor versus Milani. Uh, our opening thing is Pino's analysis for clean, and uh, she loves her brother. That's her five star. Um, Yay. Yeah. I, I, they're, they're, they care much about each other. I can actually get through this super quickly because this actually isn't a very complex chapter. Milani and, uh, and, and Hamora have a fight. Uh, she sends a bunch of glass at her, and Hamora just, you know, dodges the glass, but she can, you know, like use mirror powers to appear in any glass and, and kicks her through the glass. Like very, very crazy. So, you know, they have a little bit of a back and forth. Uh, she throws a bunch of glass at her, man, just to like, hit one that she's in she's like yeah i figured out where you were because you won't stop fucking talking all the goddamn time <laughs> and she's like ah well now i'll send a bunch of glass at you and hamora is like cutting up a glass and she's like looks in it and she sees a reflection of herself and then she cuts it she's like ah it hurts and it's like yes if you cut a reflection of yourself you hurt yourself in fact that's the whole gimmick to this now i can do whatever i want and a bunch of shards like shoot out her limbs it's a kind of cool visual it's um, a cool idea. It's yeah. just, you know, this is a one, like a two chapter villain now after she's actually appeared. And it seems uh, like it could have uh, been utilized much better. This, yeah. you know, kind of visual. So. so we get like a whole little bit then because Milani starts bragging. She's like, yes, I am one of the I am one of the members of Ocean Six, the most powerful soldiers. And you shall die. And Hamora's like, I am one of the Demon King's four shining stars, the sword that shall guide Eden Zero to Mother. And they have a little bit of a uh, back and forth. But basically, it's just Milani saying evil no we fight for the people of aoi and androids are machines you can't honestly believe that they have lives and you're like you're a roboticist she doesn't say that but you know uh shoots a bunch of glass at her uh and hamora just activates overdrive that big thing that we saw before that required a big strenuous thing she just does it because she's like how could you cut the glass that you know will hurt you and hamora's like that means nothing as long as i don't fear pain and just transforms into uh, a fox form and just wins. Like, it seems she just sends a whole bunch of swords out. And uh, I guess that counters everything. We end the chapter with uh, um, Jin landing on the planet, walking over and be like, Shiki, and then sees a, a big uh, bunch of smoke and uh, a black form behind it. So who knows what's behind that? He just says, is yeah. that? And that's the end of the chapter. <laughs> It's weird. It feels like um, Humor has like gotten this big, awesome form change thing, and it's just like, anyway, okay, moving on, whatever. Yeah, yeah she I, did it, and we're moving on. <laughs> it felt like it should have been a way bigger thing that she unlocked Overdrive. Like, this opponent, maybe if they had some kind of personal connection with one another or something like that, but, like, there's nothing between the two of them besides the fact that they happen to be squared off as opponents, and it's just like, alright. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah, it does not seem as momentous an occasion as it feels like it probably should be. And then we just move on. Yep. It's like, all right. Speaking of moving on. Yeah, so Nine Dragons Ball Parade. No, oh, Magu. Magu-chan's first. Sorry. Uh, so Magu-chan got a destruction. It's chapter 45. The Three Little Wicked Gods. So we see that uh, Magu and Naputuku and Gula 
are all hanging out together in the occult club kind of thing. And Naputuku is showing off that he knows how to do origami and he makes a little Kabuto helmet. And for most of the rest of the scene, he's got the Kabuto helmet on his starfish tentacle head thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's such an awkward fit on it. Uh, so um, he says that the reason he's there is because when he's not working, it's really awkward because his he lives in the storeroom at the restaurant. So they're just constantly coming into where he's trying to relax to get shit. Uh, and he demands that Ren trade rooms with him. And Ren's like, no. <laughs> So, um, they, that kind of gets everyone talking about, uh, you know, needing your own space sometimes. And, uh, so Kyo and Yuika kind of reminisce about how, because Yuika was trying to get away from her siblings, they would make their own secret base and they would use their cardboard boxes and stuff. And they would, you know, basically, you know, make a tree house and they would go hang out in there and in order to have their own space. Um, so, uh, and then they're like, oh, we should make a base right now. And they're like, no, we're, we're third years, so we should study. I mean, you've got to get into that good high school, I guess. So. Yeah, yeah. But Magu has the idea to make a secret base. So he's the next day, he's just kind of leaving Ruru's house, dragging a cardboard box behind him. And Ruru's like, what are you doing with that cardboard? That is a secret. <laughs> really intense to him. And immediately Rue realizes what he's doing because of the conversation. You know, she says, all right, I guess I'll never know what you're doing because it's a secret. It's very cute. Um, so Magu leaves and he's like, I shall make a new temple. Yes. Uh, but once he gets into the forest where he wants to set it up, of course, Gula and Naputagu are already there and they each want to make their own base. And they're like drawing lines in the dirt um, to, you know, stake their space and everything and uh so you know Naputika wants wants his own, own space gula says he wants a space so that he can you know have a temple and become a god and then kikyo will praise him it's cute yeah uh so they decide to have a secret base building competition all three of them and so the other two start planning and Magu's like, ha ha, my fellow compatriots are fools for not having prepared for this. This cardboard that the problem child spoke of will be a key building material. And he starts adjusting the box and <laughs> folds it back into a box shape. And he just gets inside of it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, excellent. The perfect home. I turned this into a, a best gods box and posted the picture on uh, my Twitter. Which and is then, weird because the Putakun wasn't in it. I don't, I'm not that good at editing images that quickly, but uh, Ninja X3i and, uh, uh, oh gosh, I forget who it was because um, they don't have a Twitter uh, or they couldn't find their Twitter at least. Uh, they kind of like work together and and edited edit Naputuku into it, so it it looks much better having a best god box with both Naputuku and Mago in it. So. There you go. Uh, but when Mago goes to investigate, thinking like this is perfect, uh, it turns out Gula is really good at building things because of course his ability lets him turn his arms into tools and everything. So he essentially has a very large version of Eeyore's house from Winnie the Pooh. It's a bunch of logs and stuff stacked against each other to make a, a kind of lean to. Uh, however, uh, Gula's like, ah, uh, what do you got there? 
And Mug is like, oh, it's a secret. I can't show you. And so Gulad tries to extend one of his arms to, into a big eye to look over it. He's like, oh, come on. You can come inside my face. And he collapses the entire thing down on top of himself. <laughs> Poor Gulad. Um, but then he immediately just like, I'm invincible. I'm fine. So uh, then they look over and Naputsku, of course, has had his hermit crabs build him a very nice uh, little hut. And he's just relaxing as they as they build it around him with sticks and leaves for the roof and stuff. And he's like, it's a spacious, comfortable space all for me. Uh, and they're trying to be like, it's not your base. The Hermitcraft's built it. It's like, I designed it. I made the orders. I, it's basically like I made it. He, he's not wrong. You know, uh, supervise it is an important thing. Now, granted, he was he, he, he was taking a nap. <laughs> but still, you know, <laughs> waves of chaos and whatnot. So where Naputugu goes wrong, of course, is he's immediately like, this is my own personal secret kitchen. <laughs> he gets out his little stove and he's going to start cooking. And immediately a few leaves fall in the stove, set on fire. And they're like, oh, no, oh, oh, the ceiling's burning. And of course, he sets the entire hut on fire around himself. Uh, so immediately they're like, oh, no, the fire will spread to the mountain. And so Gula and, and Magu blasted and stomp on it and stuff. So they're... All three gods are kind of left in a smoking heap and they're like, I guess we better go home. So, and, uh, in the end they're like, Oh, we didn't finish a secret base. We don't have a secret base. Uh, but the hermit crabs come over to Gula and they're like, we'll help you out. Mr. Crab. We, you know, we want to, we know what it's like to want to please someone. And so they're all like, we can work together. It'll turn out just fine. And they're all, um, so Gulad tries to be like, oh, you think I'd rely on the likes of you? Okay, let's do it. So, <laughs> so they they all agree that they're going to make a secret base together. But Mog is like, this was supposed to be a competition. But uh, instead, they all start concerning their efforts and working together. And we see you get a montage of them gathering materials, including using the rope that Ruru uses to shame the gods when they do something bad. Uh and uh, over time, they make a treehouse and they yeah. make a secret base. And there's this very cute scene of all three of them posed together on the treehouse. Like, hey, we've got a secret base. And they've got it all decorated inside. They've got some comfy cushions and a bucket. They brought the box. Bagu's box was an integral part of, box, uh, yeah. of everything. It's the center point. Yeah. And uh, they've got even, you know, tiny little touches. So, like, uh, Naputuga's got an umbrella over his cooking pot now, so he won't set everything on fire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then they show it off to to all their, to uh, the girls. And uh, each of them are kind of, like, bragging it, about it in their own unique ways and stuff like that. And Mog is like, consider it an honor to have been given the privilege of visiting our secret temple. Okay. And uh, then it uh, turns out Bird has made her nest inside the tree fort. So, yeah. Magu's upset about it, of course, because they're like, no, it's not supposed to be for random animals. This is our base. It's our base. But Kyoka is very happy about this. She says, it's not every day that you get to see wildlife up close like this. So this is really incredible. And Gula's like, yeah, we're great. So. <laughs> Good for Gula. Keep that positive attitude. And then, like, uh, uh, at the chapter ends with a squirrel, like, nomming on his shell. He's like, I'm one step closer to becoming a god. 
as this animal tries to eat me. It's a very cute little chapter. Yeah, I like it. And Onair, so again, great chapter. Amazing, yes, yeah. So, Nine Dragons Ball Parade, Chapter 15, The Dragon Awakens. Uh, so this is where the Kung Fu comes in in the series, presumably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, well, he was told not to ever let his fist hit that iron gate. Um, but he thinks he can nail her. She's right in front of the gate, so if he misses, he rends everything. But if he doesn't miss, he's probably going to win. I mean, look, she is covering about 5% of the surface area of that wall. So... <laughs> I'm just saying, sometimes you got to risk it for the biscuit. Now, I know the explicit thing we were told was uh, really not to win, because they win as long as they don't break that door. But uh, sometimes you gotta you got to go for it. you got to go for the risky win. You think that the defenders ever met up after that point, and uh, they found Matt Mardock, and uh, they were like, Hey, so how you doing after that whole fight? It's like, well... I had to fight my girlfriend to the death because somebody. <laughs> I went some of those things because one person couldn't listen to a very simple fucking instruction. God damn it. Iron Fist, the best Marvel hero. So <laughs> so good they've effectively replaced him in universe now. Pretty much. Uh, so last time, uh, Shiro? Shiro. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Shiro. Uh, went and completely embarrassed the uh, the the Kowloons. Uh, he completely kicked uh, Tsurugi's ass in a pitching batting contest, and uh, so he reports to his grandfather that they're not a threat. They, they they have some talent, but they're just chasing a dream. They're they're not. They're a bunch of cute pets. So his grandfather's then like, "Is that all?" And he says, "No, <laughs> they were so adorable. I couldn't help tormenting them for a bit." His grandfather's like, "Yeah." Because they're really wacky villains. It's it's so comical of just like, hey, Dad, I was evil to them. Yes, yes, you were. Excellent. Uh, We like playing baseball. (laughs) I'm currently uh, reading Kuroko no Basket. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if you ever did you read the whole thing? Not the whole thing. Okay. Uh, I've, I've, I've tried to pick up and get through all of it before, but I keep on like stopping and starting and having to restart. Did, over did you ever pick. get to Akashi? I think so. The the captain of the, the Miracle Generation? Uh, maybe not. So he would be like the last one. He would, he's the last one introduced. They don't introduce him until they make it to the Winter Cup. And I love it because he is the most extra over-the-top member of the group. Like, the way he's introduced, he's like, basketball means everything to me. I won't let it get in my way, even if I had to kill my own parents to do it. And it's like, I want these two guys to meet up to each other, and they just have, like, an over-the-top evil off to see who can be the biggest (laughs) asshole about a fucking high school sport. (laughs) Did you... You've seen the bit where, uh... Or Peyton Manning hosted SNL, right? Uh, I've seen many bits of Peyton Manning in SNL. Uh, I don't know did if you I've see, seen all of them. It was like the first time he did it, and it's like uh, he he talks about you know his NFL career and his opening monologue, and he's like introducing his family who are sitting in the audience. He's like, my father Archie Manning, you know, he was a quarterback uh, for a very long time. My brother Eli Manning, he plays for quarterback for the for the New York Giants, and there's my mom. 
she didn't make it in the NFL. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering if like everyone in this family who like is not involved in baseball is like the shame of the family. <laughs> They're just like, didn't what a fucking failure. Didn't even try, did you? Oh, uh, decided to go off and save hungry children in poor countries all over the world. What a loser. <laughs> I, I just, there is something, it's such a joy. Doesn't even to, teach the kids baseball. <laughs> it's such a joy to see characters so evil about sports. It's just, there's something so comical to it. The, the, just the idea that the way these two characters show up and the son's just like, <laughs> I tortured them like a little child. And the dad's like, good, good. It's just so fucking like it's it's the way every chapter should open in the sports manga. <laughs> oh yeah. So um now she was like, oh, what I imagine what's happening inside their hearts now. I feel like bursting into song. <laughs> so, we cut then to uh the good guy's locker room, and yeah, moods are low, and Kareen feels very awkward as she's looking at all the players like feeling very serious and then of course they remember how embarrassed they were just being completely decimated by this one pitcher um and so you know kareen's aware that like they're trying to resist the thoughts of like yo we're just a bunch of nobodies we'll never amount to anything so she tries to line up the moon and say like hey you know we've got a better sense of hakua's strength now and you know Sometimes, you know, you got to come back from really big deficits. Mr. Giants came back from an 11 and a half games down to make history. And you have what it takes to hit those pitches, right? But uh, Ryudo, of all people, is like, well, it's not that simple. See, every pitcher dreams of throwing his ideal pitch, a pitch that nobody's ever seen before. And I never dreamed a pitch could be that fast, sharp and accurate. And most of all, I know personally how incredible it is to be able to strike out Sarugi. So now what, Azu? Right now, we can't beat Hakuo. So Azu says, like, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of data on this guy, but seeing his cutter in person is an entirely different thing. So they're all just like, yeah, we don't really have anything to make everyone feel better. So sorry. Sucks to suck, guys. Sometimes it happens. So, oh gosh. Ta, 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 ta. Tsubaki. That's it. Uh, I always get confused because there's Surugi and Tsubaki. So it's, yeah. It, yeah. So Tsubaki is just like, this is ridiculous. I, I hate seeing everyone like this. I'm not going to just sit here and be like, oh, I can't win. We can't win. You guys can all spend your whole lives feeling sorry for yourselves. And he dramatically snaps off his, his scrunchie and he storms out of the locker room. I know there's no name for it. I'm calling it a scrunchie. So. Hair tie. Yeah, it's same thing, basically. So he leaves and everyone's like, man, we really, you know, we really got our ass kicked today. We were shown exactly how far away we were from achieving our dream. And uh, we cut to later on and there are some kids at their school who are like, man, that best baseball team sure got their ass kicked yesterday. <laughs> um, and they get to the baseball field and Kareen is there all by herself. And she looks like she's, you know, ready to lead fielding practice, but there is nobody on the field. And so she's like, all right. I mean, everyone here is, you know, still in junior high. So even being that young and having that happen to them, that's been a shock. But you know, it's no problem. You guys can get discouraged for a day and I'll let it slide. But then she starts to have doubts and she's like, it's just going to be for a day, right? 
then you go to the next page and everyone is coming to the field and everyone's showing up in school uniforms and they're all thinking like we got our ass kicked yesterday that dream we wanted to achieve is really far away this is the starting line so we have to start walking step by step by step and they all arrive on the field and green just smiles at them and says you're late uh, but headband guy, whose name I'm not going to remember, and I'm saying that as a decree, not as a lack of effort. I am just not going to remember it. Because... Nick, how dare you? This series could be running for like another forty years. You might have to. You might have to say this character's name all the time. We can hope. So, um, but he says, no, no, no. Actually, like last night, we were going over data with Azakita. So we were coming up with a plan, you know, and Azuki is like, yeah, it's just like Tsubaki said, there's no point in moping. It's just that Hakuo is currently better than we are right now. So in order to catch up, we've got to put in the effort. So we were, you know, analyzing swing trajectory, our strengths and weaknesses, and how we can emulate the physical abilities of ideal athletes. And so, yeah, it was super tiring. And um, that's why we're late. Uh, So... And they're like, and now we've got uh, a new uh, training regimen for every member of the the nine dragons. You know, all seven of us. So, <laughs> so Kareen's really impressed, and she says, "Oh, but I don't see one for Tsubaki." And they're like, "Oh, yeah, he hasn't shown up. Don't tell me." And then it turns out Tsubaki is in the building right by the field, which also happens to be the uh, school broadcasting room. And he's like, hey, you guys are all late. I got here early. Give you a talking to. Where have you all been? And someone's immediately rushing in because they're like, you can't use this place without permission. Uh, but they're like, hey, um, can you let him yell at us for a bit? Just just let him. He, I'm sure he, he, he has a speech prepared. And for someone like him, it probably took a lot of concentration to get all this ready. So, yeah. So he starts shouting at Tariq. He's like, hey, you know, you you think you're so great. Well, you were really pathetic. And. Don't ever let me hear you say that you can't hit again. All of you, listen and learn. The reason I can field anything is because I never give up. That's what genius is. And you may not be a genius like me, but the fact that you chose me means you have potential. So no more whining. Don't give in to doubts and fears. Believe in me. You're strong, I guarantee. (laughs) He's very clumsy and awkward, but he's sincere and he believes in them. So it's nice. And they're like, what's uh, what's the speech? Don't believe in you. Believe in me who believes in you. But it's kind of the opposite where it's like, don't believe in yourself. Believe in me who believes in me and then believes in you. Look, I'm the important one here. (laughs) So then they finally say, like, yeah, we were collecting data before. We haven't given up. And he's like, really? (laughs) That's just kind of. (laughs) So. He joins them on the field, and they're like, all right, we're all here. We haven't given up. We just didn't know where we needed to go in order to be where we need to be. So we were at a loss then, and now Azu's shown us the way. So uh, then he pushes Azu forward, and he's like, speech! And uh, he says to Korean, I'm sorry we were late today, but now I think we've got a good plan. And everyone here has unlimited potential, which is why we're making this promise. We're all going to get stronger we're going to train hard enough to take you to Koshian. And Kareen replies by reaching out and 
grabbing Ozzy's hand in a really firm handshake. It's honestly a little shot that I wish had gotten more attention because it seems like it could have been a fun visual, but oh well. And uh, then after she's interesting. Okay, go ahead. Oh well, after she's, after that, she says, "I've got no intention of having someone take me to Koshien. I'm going. We're all going. So get ready for fielding uh, hell." So, uh, and then there's a the time skip. It's, it's it's springtime now. I think we're introduced to a new character or the anemic kid's really worried because uh, there's somebody on a computer who's Googling, is Coco Ryuzon really okay? <laughs> Which I don't know what Google results are going to get, but I don't know if that's a character who's like, uh, is the school really good or is the baseball t- or if it's just the uh, sickly kid who's just like, is everyone I'm friends with insane? <laughs> What's going to happen? Think, I think that that is him. And I think he's just worried about the school that he's agreed to join <laughs> based purely on being on the baseball team. So, okay. But yeah, um, we are cutting ahead to the actual baseball season now, and uh, we'll see how much of that we actually get to see now, I guess. Yeah, so, we shall sing- see. Single baseball being hit uh, uh, yeah, so, and all that. All right. Dr. Stone. It's time to get stoned, Nick. Z equals 198. Whole new world. And all that stuff. So, uh, Chrome, we see that before he overheard the conversation between Tsukasa and Senku, he was actually looking at Kaseki while he was getting a little bit drunk. And being like, maybe if we revive Kaseki some more, he could live longer so he won't die before the rest of us. That is logic. We go. You can work under. That's yeah. what I've been thinking. Yeah. I see an old character and something. I'm like, what if we use Doctor Stone to freeze them, and then they could never die? What if I grab Herschel's decapitated head from his body and push it together, and then use Doctor Stone so he's revived to before the governor decided to kill him with the sword after disappearing for forever, and then he could still be alive. But then I remember the actor's actually dead now, and I'm, I get sad all again. Maybe if I just perform CPR on this guy who's uh, <laughs> had their head coached by a cinder block, <laughs> I'll be okay. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. What a scene. <laughs> I think that's still one, saved in my two, highlights. Three, four, one, two, three, <laughs> Four. <laughs> so I think that's still saved to my Twitch highlights for people who want to see it. But yeah, good times. <laughs> All right. So um, then, of course, after he's had the, those thoughts about Kaseki and he overhears the conversation between Senku and Tsukasa, of course, he immediately gets excited about it, reveals himself, reveals he's overheard everything. So they bring him on the conversation. And uh, so they start to think about like, OK, well, you know, it's weird that, uh, you know, the Y-Man, though. So he's still trying to petrify us, right? What, what's going on with that? And, and Tsukasa says, well, we're just going to have to ask him what's up with that uh, before another wave of Medusas descends upon us. And Senku says, all it takes is a journey to the moon. Um, and it so happens, of course, that they have an expert on space travel in their midst, being Zeno, the former NASA worker. Because if there's anything that a single person in NASA can do for you, it is get you to the moon. Any single person who has ever worked for NASA, they know how to get you to the moon. So, uh, 
And so immediately Senku revives him with the revival fluid. And uh, Chrome, of course, has some doubts about this, but Tsukasa's like, it's fine. It'll be fine. Um, and of course, they're like, yeah, as long as Stanley's out of the picture, we don't have to worry about him causing any trouble. Uh, and then Senku says, well, it's not really so much about muscles and weapons anymore. The rules of our world have changed 10 billion percent. And so they revive uh, Zeno and either he's somehow heard everything that they've been talking about while petrified or they give him up, bring him up to speed while he is still uh, naked, which is, I suppose, equally likely. So and he's he's he refers to this as being truly elegant, violating the natural order with nefarious science. But uh, Tsukasa decides to bring the mood down by saying, like, living forever may be a fate worse than death. Imagine an unending world where every dead series is brought back with the veto in the bank contract, apparently. Boom, boom. I just wanted to get it in there, you know? I wanted to make sure it's all where. Yes. I had the power to control anything in this podcast. I can get rid of Dr. Stone right now if I want. I don't think that's what the veto power can be used for, but just noting. Who knows what's inside? You could try and cash in on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, no one wants to hear about Dr. Stone anymore, Nick. Boom. So Tsukasa brings up the point that if nobody ever dies on the planet, it would be covered with tens of billions, even trillions of the elderly, which seems like a very specific thing until you realize, all right, Tsukasa hates old people because <laughs> of the whole his sister didn't have to be sick thing right yeah so um and then of course you know there's the problem of resources that they bring up uh and so senku's like well yeah we don't really know if we can stave off cell decay and aging and everything though so and it's not like we can run clinical trials so but we'll have to wait to figure those things out until we've dealt with why man uh and uh we should in the meantime keep this a secret between the four of us you know, the most trustworthy people in our group, Tsukasa, Senku, Chrome, and Dr. Zeno. <laughs> well, Dr. Zeno respects science so much, so that's why they need to include him. Yeah. Because, of course, if people don't have the fear of death, who knows what they'll do. So, yeah. Um, so Zeno does bring up the point, like, you know, why did you risk bringing me in on this? And uh, Senku just holds out the little earpiece. Uh, that they've been using to uh, communicate and stuff. And Senku says, Y-Man has been saying the same thing over and over and over and over again through radio broadcast uh, to in order to cast the Earth in a petrification beam. So I've tuned the earpiece to match the broadcast. And so Xena listens to it, and it's just static. There is nothing coming in anymore. And Senku says, the stony message was beaming down nonstop before, but since the second it hit home and petrified us, he hasn't said a word. Well, I mean, you don't you don't know that for 100 percent. Yeah, I mean, it's been just a couple of years, but <laughs> I, I, I get your logic. Yes. So, <laughs> um, and they're like, yeah, we don't really know why. But for whatever reason, why a man is hellbent on petrifying everyone as long as humans are alive on Earth. So we've got new rules in this new world. Dreams of being a tyrant will get you nowhere fast. And so Zeno has to ponder this and that's to, it comes to the conclusion. Humanity might be immortal now, but the price we'll pay for that 
is a life sentence in Y Man's stony prison. And uh, so they're like, we got to go and figure out what we're going to do about this. We need to go to the moon. Uh, we cut over the next day to Stanley's statue. Who He's, of course, still in, in, in cigarette pose because that's what he was doing when he was frozen. Uh, and uh, Ryusui says, we could say that Stanley's assaults on us were either justified acts of warfare or attempted murder. And it's up to us to decide what's up to that. Um, and so they're like, hmm, I guess we, yeah, we could show mercy or we could, you know, not, essentially. Uh, so Xena's like, I got you. So what I can offer you in return is my cooperation as a rocketry expert. Okay. Uh, of course, uh, Pedro and Carl don't trust him, but uh, Chrome's like, I don't think Xena's going to betray us because of the situation. And Gen agrees and says, yes, you know, the, the, this whole thing about Xena's cooperation is mere pretense when really it's about pride. And then they're like, Gen, did you ever hear what we were talking about last night? He's like, I don't know what you're talking about because he is Gen. So. Stanley stares longingly into his good friend and nothing else, Stanley's eyes. And, uh, then he kind of reflects on the situation that he that they're in. You know, he and Senku are working together again. And uh, they kind of leave Stanley's uh, statue, but not before somehow letting him smoke a cigarette. Which Yeah, uh, I don't... They put a cigarette <laughs> into his mouth. Like, I almost like to think that he was like, tink, 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 and like chiseled out one of his teeth just so he could slide a cigarette in there and then light it. <laughs> Cigarettes don't light unless you inhale on them. So presumably I mean, you could light a, you could light start it. So Yeah, as I say, you could light a cigarette and then pass it off, but I don't like that I don't know where it would shared go. an indirect kiss. Oh wow. That's adorable. Aww. I'm happy for them. And then Xena tries to walk off all cool like he didn't just do the cutest thing ever. So I'm putting my jacket on. Yeah. I'm putting on my jacket on and then walking away from my buddy. But my heart stained with my love. <laughs> so uh, then we get a full page spread dedicated to uh, them planning, which is <laughs> they're scribbling on papers. All right. A plan. Uh, and they say, all right, it's taken 10 years, really 3,700 years for us to finally team up time to build a stone world spaceship. And the last uh, image of the chapter is a big two page spread laying out the the roadmap to getting a freaking rocket engine. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how the hell this goes. It's It seems like a tremendous undertaking to make a spaceship with the resources that they have on hand. But, well, they uh, were they were trying to make a spaceship when this all sort of first started. So they had to go back to the U.S. to get yeah. corn to to begin with like they need that and then just to revive everybody and i presume they'll go back to japan we saw from that original map i believe that they were going to go to it looked like china for a computer and i feel like there was another one like super alloys or something like that so it looks like they they, mm -hmm. they have their their list and this seems to line up with it so yeah we'll see what their uh, next move is if they're going to immediately head to the u.s and try to revive people there it would be so what, fucked so. up if they didn't it would be so fucked up if they didn't at least send Thanks, somebody guys. to do it 
Joel, thanks for, you know, coming through in the clutch. We didn't really know you, but, you know, you connected with us and you put your literal body and life on the line to save everyone. Good job doing that. Have fun being a statue for a few more years. Uh, You gotta go. (laughs) Peace. Uh, All right. With that, Nick, let's move on to Mashal Magic and Muscles Chapter 64 dot Lance and how babies are made. Uh, so we start the chapter. Yeah, <laughs> we start the chapter with uh, showing Dot, Lance, and Margaret basically using their various different techniques to fight against the zombie monsters, but it's just not doing super well. And Dot looks over and hears crying, and he's like, "What the heck? What's a baby doing out there?" But he is hit by magic and turns into a baby himself, and he just goes "goo goo," and we get it translated. What the hell? And the baby is actually one of the six called the Criminal Canes. The name's Sitta Baby. (laughs) And he is a member of Innocent Zero's Army of Death, who has the magic to turn anyone into a child. So, uh... Dot tries to fight back, uses uh, his his explosion, and it just... Yeah. (laughs) Basically. And he's like, oh crap. This is really, really bad. I'm going to die. Lance, I need you to help me. And Lance just looks like, fuck get out of here. What, is this a joke or something like that? And he can't understand anything, but he sees the spell coming. He's like, oh, I gotta I gotta dodge this. And he just looks at uh, like uh, Dot, and he's like, oh, man, this is tough. I've, I've got to protect him. But his face is so stupid and annoying. <laughs> so he's like, I have to protect this baby while dealing with the monsters. And he looks over, and, and Dot's gone. And Dot is crawling over because a rattle fell on the ground. And he's like, ah, crap, I got in the baby zone there. And uh, basically Lance has turned into a baby, protected him at that point. And they're both like, dang it, this is really tough. A rattle falls again, and then they both start crawling towards it. They're like, dang it, it's it's a baby. It's so hard to resist picking up this rattle. (laughs) So, again, sinner baby... (laughs) (laughs) It <laughs> comes out and says, oh, your defeat was assured the moment I cast the spell. You can no longer use more than one-tenth of your magic power. Truly, there's nothing better than a one-sided fight against the powerless. They can't fight back, so I'm at no risk of harm. And uh, nah, yeah, Dot's like, oh, man, this is really bad. But then Lance does what everybody absolutely assumed he was going to do the moment he was like it was it takes you down to one tenth of your power he just used his, his sexual gravial ability and just crushes them immediately and, and baby sitter baby is just like how he was reverted to an infant such power is ridiculous and dot just basically stands there is like wow lance is crazy powerful for a reason um he does goo goo sorry ga 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 goo and it's translated to, you're right about it being one-sided, scum. <laughs> and Baby Dot's he like... He tries to do the, like, the cool one-liner. The, go, 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 go. <laughs> and Dot's just like, I don't know what the hell he's saying. <laughs> we cut over to Selwar, who says, don't tell me you've forgotten about me. And he cuts over to Mash. He looks up, he looks down. <laughs> he just ends the chapter by going, I'm so sorry. This is a fucking goofy goddamn series. <laughs> I just, I love that moment. 
<laughs> I'm looking at like, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I, don't, I don't remember. <laughs> like, it's so weird that we're continuing. I almost want like five weeks of this joke every week, just another moment of mash. Be like, I just. Were you in a movie I saw once or something? Oh, boy. Yeah. Weird, so... weird one off chapter, uh, but it did give us Sitter Baby. So I'm always going to be a little a little fond of this chapter at the very least. It was uh, it was fine. Yes. So let's move on to the Elusive Samurai Chapter 18 Rogues 1334. We are continuing the uh, discussions with uh, the new character whose name I haven't memorized yet. Sorry. Uh, he's not as ridiculous as Genba, so I didn't immediately I didn't immediately learn it. So um, but uh, we. <sighs> So he, he he's trying to make himself like, no, 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 I, I, I'm going to keep coming back as a character. I'm not just a one off, guys. Look, I've got a comedic gimmick. See, I eat lots. Yes, he does. So. Yes. And uh, he you know starts briefing them on information about the terrain. He explains that this is actually a very vital location because it can essentially be made into a fortress because it's very easy to defend. So if uh, Ogasawara, you know, captures it then it'll be very, very difficult for Sua to retake this territory. And then from there, it can be used as a look, as a jumping off point to invade the last rest of this territory. Meanwhile, he's like using rice as like units on the map as he's explaining all this stuff. And he's just getting more and more and more and more and more rice given to him. And he's just eating it and eating it and eating it and eating it. So he eats rice. It's, it's so um he brings up the problem that like although they defended the, the the locations they can't hold up much longer and one of the kids says yeah fubuki ate up all the village stores in three days and so she's she's a good points out so the threat here is actually you <laughs> you're the monster here. <laughs> <laughs> um so but she's brings up you know you were like that when we met last year and you know when i went to eastern shinano to assist with the ritual uh you got into the offerings we received and you ate them all <laughs> i do like the shot of him because he's got like these big puffed out cheeks uh someone i forget in our discord posted a picture of a cat who had like gotten into all the food and it was just like right. heavy or no it's the rat who got into the the jellies box and it's just sitting there after eating all it's a i don't care what you do to me i've already won <laughs> It's like I have already won in life. <laughs> I went straight to the last level. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, so that's Fubuki. He says I can't resist my empty stomach or requests from children. Those are my gimmicks. So uh, Tokiyuki's like, okay. So this is a calm, collective strategist. He's just very sloppy in other areas. That's his gimmick. He's going to stick around, definitely. Mm-hmm. So. I'm saying that so that I can be right later or I can just claim I was sarcastic later. So, um, so Shizuka brings up to Tokiyuki addressing him as Nisama to establish that they are still, uh, holding up Tokiyuki's cover and says, uh, I think that the reason that my father was so worried was because he can't see the future currently. Uh, and this village is important, but so is your life. And I think that we should just take the children and run and essentially give up the village. But Tokiyuki says, no, uh, I want to protect the village. The the parents that have died need to be buried. Funerals need to be held. And losing their parents and their homes would be too much. I want them to stay here until they're recovered. 
he doesn't want the kids to go through all of what he has been through at the start of the series. He wants them to at least hold on to their home. So they obey uh, his wishes and Shizuku starts uh, making a plan. Uh, she says that she and Ayako will uh, gather some uh, fighters from surrounding villages. She sends Genba to back to the Grand Shrine to get some reinforcements. And Genba jumps up and down and goes, yay, I'm leaving the front line. Now I don't have to die. <laughs> I do love him being so excited. He's like, I won't die now. Goodbye. <laughs> But while she keeps on making plans with Ayako and Kojiro, uh, Tokyuki gets Fubuki's attention and says, hey, can you help me out here? Uh, But then we cut away. And um, so the bald guy covered in ants, who might just have a kimono that's got an ant pattern on it. I'm still not 100% certain. Uh, But either way. It's horrifying either way. But. So. He's going over stuff uh, with his men. He's like, yeah, the Imperial Court isn't strong enough to wash the frontiers. So Sadamune wants us to chip away at Suwa territory. So I'm going to do literally exactly what Fubuki said that I would be doing if I captured this territory. Um, he repeats over the same plan. Uh, one of his men's like, yeah, but won't Sadamune be mad that we killed all of these villagers? And they're just a pile and a bunch of crucifixes in the background behind him. And the ball guy says, eh. It's his fault for expecting morality from former rogues like us. Besides, and then he spits and says, Namo Amirabutsu, and says, One prayer and Buddha forgives all sins. And his soldier is like, Yay, I love being Buddhist. That's not how that works, you <laughs> assholes. Uh, so he says that sending small groups to the village was a mistake. And now they're going to hit it in full force. We cut back to the village where Fubuki is now training with Tokiyuki. He analyzes that Tokiyuki is very, very good at evading. And he's like, all right, now attack me. And of course, Tokiyuki goes. And so Fubuki's like, ah, okay, gotcha. You are really bad at this. So you want me to teach you sword techniques that you can actually use. Uh, And uh, Tokiyuki's like, wow, yeah, I mean, you're, you're an incredible teacher. And your strategy session was really easy to learn. I I really want you to help me because I want to learn how to protect others. And Fubuki reveals that he's kind of gleamed a little bit about what's going on with Tokiyuki because he still addresses him as Chojumaru and is like, oh, are you like Shizuka's big brother? And he says, no, nah, it's a nickname she's got for me. And, she's, and so he says, you seem to be of high birth because the others hold you in high regard and they're loyal to you. And Tokyuki's like, no, no, I, no, the shrine just took me in. And yeah, that's all. So, and then Fubuki's like, also, again, pinpoints why Tokyuki wants to help the kids in the village. And he says to himself, he's no good at anything but running away. But his surprising warmth in these violent times can be a great weapon. And he says to Tokyuki, a secret sword technique that is appropriate for you does exist. I didn't think anyone would intentionally master it. But you just might. I believe it is the world's kindest, most merciful, and yet cruelest sword art. Demon Heart Buddha Blade. That's what I'll call it. I mean, it sounds pretty awesome. (laughs) But he says, now there's a technique that only works one-on-one. So, and then he kind of like thinks to himself, like, how do we use this? And he's like, all right, Tojimaru. The enemy's main force, I think, will probably attack tomorrow. You must kill the enemy leader. 
Between Shizuka's reinforcements and your elusive footwork, Heaven has handed you a massive chance for victory, which he demonstrates by taking out a handful of rice and putting it in Tokuyuki's hand. Because it's handing him a chance for victory. Yeah. He likes rice. So. Uh, we cut to ahead to when the soldiers are arriving. They are going to attack from the mountains. Uh, and one of the guys is like, why are we attacking from up here? And the boss is just like, our advanced groups didn't return. So they obviously have traps set up along those routes. And it's going to be more difficult to lay a, a, a surprise attack from here. So we'll do that. We get some historical explanation for who these people are in, in terms of history uh, and why they are experienced in battle despite being essentially raiders and bandits. Uh, and But also, pr- pushing forward, these are evil motherfuckers. They rape and pillage and enslave children and kill everyone else. Uh, so they're bad people who know what they're doing. The boss orders the troops forward down the hill. Immediately as they go down the hill, arrows start coming down from behind them, from the top of the hill. Uh, and so they realize, oh, there was an ambush laid out up here. They were waiting for us to show our backs. One of his men wants to turn back and fight them, but the general is like, nope, that's what they want us to do. They want us to storm up where we will have a really hard time getting them while they pick us off. So instead, we're going to advance. The best way to get by this is just to get away from the people shooting arrows and invade uh, the village. Uh, and uh, so they head down to do that. And the last uh, the chapter that we see is Fubuki poking his eyes through the blinds of a window and saying, now it's a battle. That it is. Um, it should be cool. This should be actually a pretty exciting little conflict once it really starts. Uh, and... Uh, Again, I'm just kind of waiting to find out what this character is going to be in all this. Like this dude, yeah. this dude, dude, dude ball, it's, as I like to call him. Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't like this story quite as much as I liked the Gen, the Genba introduction stuff. Um, but I do have to say, like, I mean, for as short as the series is thus far, we've got, we've gotten a lot accomplished, like a lot of little adventures that set up the stakes really quickly let you know who the major players are really quickly and give you a really good feel of them. And then just like, and here's the climax and it's exciting. So really digging eternal samurai so far. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very fun. Uh, all right, let's move on then to black clover page 294 as promised. So we open with Magna falling because he's just won his match and Zora catches him and it's just like, you won that one. And Asta and Luck come over and they're like, holy crap, like, me and Yami work together. We only barely managed to take this guy down. So you're awesome. You're amazing. And Luck's even like, I'm really looking forward to fighting you next time. And he's just like, yep, I'm going to win that one. You know what? And uh, the great hero, Jack the Ripper, watches on and is like, you know, I'm a commoner. Even so, I worked really hard and became a captain. So I won't lose to nobles and royals. And I actively added commoners to my brigade, which is a detail that I feel like we don't. It was thirteen. <laughs> someone looked down on me, and so I vowed from that moment that I would cut down all people in my path. And so I refined my magic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he just says something like, "Oh wow, you just showed me something real interesting." Uh, somebody at a hundred percent power with a devil would have been nearly equal to a supreme devil. So that's a huge surprise. But at this point devils are just going to keep pouring out so who really who really cares all that much 
Uh, we close in on the scientist. I forget what his name, Morrison or some shit like that. And he's like, Dante lost. I'd love to know what spell they use to take him out. Coo, coo, coo. Uh, and Nature Boy Flare is just like, hey, we got to keep going. Um, by the way, here's some healing cookies. Everybody gets one, basically. Sensu beans! Yeah, here's some sensu cookies. Uh, so they leave. And then we see Dante start to get up and he's like yeah. ripping apart. And he's like, I've never lose to anybody like that. And great hero Jack the Ripper comes back in and says, you know, you're, the speed of your recovery magic's no joke, but you can't control that magic, that magic at this point. Like it's going to rip you apart. So just shut up. That little inst- uh, insect won that fight, so don't go raining on his parade. And then presumably kills him. Uh, we cut away, and I doubt we would come back, because what will be the point of seeing Dante lose a fight for the third time, basically? Um, but Or Jack the Ripper lose a fight again. Yeah, who gives a shit about Jack the Ripper anyway? Uh, but we get a moment of like, hey, so everybody who was in the Heart Kingdom's here, and if you're here, then Nasta kind of gets cut off. As we cut back to the fight with uh, Vanica whose tits are really flopping in this one panel. I didn't notice it before, but it's, yeah, it's a weird yeah. it's a weird look. I don't know why that's happening. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll attack you with them. <laughs> she became a fucking dead or alive beach volleyball character for a quick yeah. moment. Um, it's not going to work out so well because uh, she's also taken over Laurel Pachika, and now Laurel Pachika's magic's being added into this whole situation, and uh, it's not going super well for the heroes. Uh, Rill tries to use some magic. Does it really matter? It's not gonna. It's not gonna do too much. Um, we get a scene. I thought actually, because uh, there's a scene of like an explosion and it looks like water, and I was like, I guess that's Noel coming in, but it's not yet. They they have another quick exchange of a bunch of roses and stuff like that, and then Noel and Raja, I believe is his name, show up to be like, here I am as promised, Vanica. So it looks like we're gonna move into that fight. Yep. Um, it is a transitional chapter. It is perfectly serviceable for that. Uh, and somehow I was just joking about it, but Jack the Ripper got the kill steal. So, uh, yeah. okay. <laughs> I know some people are going to be kind of annoyed. I don't mind it so much because it shows that that we we did get Magna win that fight. Yes. And Jack or Dante is irrevocably different now as a result of it. Like his body would not be in control of his magic. So it is different. And I get it. You want to make Jack the Ripper a cool anti-hero or whatever. So he's going to kill him. Like whatever. Let him have his, his murder kill. It makes sense that a guy who has regenerative body magic would be very tough to bring down or whatever. Although it does make all the heroes look like complete idiots for just walking away. If they all were kind of like, I wonder if his magic might come back now that he's been beaten and the smell's gone. Uh, Yeah, whatever. You think that as they get out of there, uh, they're going to be like, oh, man, you know, come to think of it, that recovery magic, you know, maybe he survived it and he's going to come back. And so I was like, ah, it's all right. I set up an explosive rune all over the all over there. So, you know, once we're all out of there, it's going to blow up. And that's why, you know, I gave us a little bit of time so that everyone would get out of there. So he's the only person in the room right now. No one else has got to get blown up by that. <laughs> yeah. Jack the Ripper turns up dead. <laughs> oh, no. How did this happen? <laughs> All right. So let's close with One Piece Chapter 1014, The Ham! Yes. Yeah. 
uh, Luffy has been sh- thrown off of uh, Onigashima, and Kaido watches him fall down, and uh, he you know kind of observes you know the progress that Luffy made in the fight, how he gained the color of supreme hockey, but he says your use of it was crude and clumsy. Gum gum was it? You couldn't be Joy Boy either, it seems. Interesting. Bum bum bum. I don't know enough about One Piece lore at this point to understand what the implications of that are. I know Joy Boy is an important name. I just don't yes. remember all the details at mm-hmm. this point. Uh, he gets a message uh, via Dendenmushi that they have fa- located Momonosuke. He says he's going to go there, and then he asks about Bao Huang. And uh, he says, announce the results to all of Onigashima. We cut to the where Yamato is bashing through people. Apparently, the location that they thought Momodosuke was, uh, we're meant to think that it was actually this because they're like, he's got he's got Momonosuke with them. Uh, but something's wrong. Oh, his cuffs are gone. And Yamato declares, I'm not your prisoner anymore. I am Odin, which is nice. Uh, then we cut to where Momonosuke actually is, and he's been flipping through Odin's journal, and he says to Shinobu, it would seem that I truly must not die. So he has learned something very important that we are not quite privy to yet. But before he can uh, explain what the hell he's talking about, he gets dragged away by some sort of invisible uh, person. But we cut away from that to where... Chopper is fighting with Queen, suplex in a Brachiosaurus, the way you do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and everyone's just like, yeah, kick his ass. He, he tried to kill us all. Get him. But Chopper's not doing so hot. Uh, he's starting to uh, run out of stamina, it seems. And Queen is actually laughing at him, even though he's just been thrown onto his back. Um, and then we see that... Uh, uh, is... Uh, watching things Parasparrow Parasparo, yeah <laughs> and uh I guess he's gonna shoot some arrows I guess I don't know so Parasparo's arrows yeah so uh and Chopper's like ah oh, I can't seem to actually hurt Queen I'm finally able to extend my monster time and I already have less than 10 minutes left and we cut to a flashback to when the Straw Hats had Caesar Clown with them and he was mocking Chopper for only being able to maintain monster form for three minutes. And uh, he's like, well, but if I'm in monster form longer than that, it's like, so what? Are you so precious about your looks? You call yourself a pirate? Rumble balls? Look at that sloppy work. Get this list of chemicals so you can stretch the gigantification time to 30 minutes. There are risks, but you're not a coward, are you? You won't. <laughs> Bet you won't. You're too much of a coward. Like, aww. Sucks to suck. So, Aww. thank you, Caesar Clown. I'll forever be in your credit. For, for powering up Chopper, I guess. <laughs> it's, he, he's a weirdo. He does what he wants, I guess. So, Queen launches a breath weapon at Chopper, which he refers to as his black coffee beam. Okay. Hey, he likes coffee. What are you going to do? Perospero is going to shoot a rain of arrows at people, but before he, he can do that, we cut up to uh, the uh, Mary's servants who all have the eye things over their faces and they activate diffusion mode and there is a click that comes from all of them so that they can make an announcement broadcast to all of Onigashima 
declaring that Luffy has lost. And uh, so, of course, a few people react to this with shock. Um, a few people react with it, react with disbelief. Uh, and the announcement continues saying the Kozuki Samurai and Pirate Captain have fallen. Can anyone else win but Master Kaido, who will now descend and begin to clean up the stragglers? Heed closely for Master Kaido will allow you to surrender. Only those who raise their arms and surrender compliance will be spared their lives and allowed to serve as our followers. And of course, both Sanji and Zoro hear this and like, nope, screw that. I also want to just note that we see uh, Queen stretch his neck out and he's got a robotic like neck now as well, which is interesting. The idea that if you had robotic upgrades, they carry on with you when you could turn into his own form is pretty dope. (laughs) You've basically got to make the design into like a a transformer thing, you know, so, like you know, you've got to be able to fold it up into the different shape, even though they just kind of poof into the new shape. So (laughs) it's pretty cool. Of course, uh, they're under the impression that Kinemon has fallen. And we, of course, know that that's not true. I mean, he was beaten by Gato, but he's gotten back up. Um, so the message keeps on getting broadcast all around, like, you know, surrender, Wano, you have lost, the outcome is clear. Uh, and we see that Kondro is lurking around, uh, somewhere. It's kind of hard to tell exactly where it is. But, uh, it turns out that the person who grabbed Momonosuke is Kinemon. Everything is fine. It's cool. Everything is fine. Uh, and they're also reacting to the broadcast. But however, as they're doing that, they're like, oh, you know, we've got to tell everyone. Uh, but Monosuke says, we've got to tell everyone this thing. And he's in, he's in pain for some reason. And they're, try- they're trying to figure out what is the matter. Uh, and then... <laughs> so we saw Kondro at the bottom of some stairs on the previous page. And then... Odin pops out on the same page from a hatch that had stairs going on. Huh, I wonder if this Odin, who was really Kondro in disguise from before, could actually be Kondro. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, uh, um, Kiku and Kinemon didn't have time to bring Shinobu and and Momonosuke up to speed about this deception uh, before, as he's like, oh, Shinobu, it's me, Odin. And so Kiku takes a stance against him. And uh, they're like, no, 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 it's not really him. But uh, Odin says, oh, Kiku, why are you so angry? It's me, as Kiku's charging towards him to take him down. And she says, after what you did to Ashura, and she blames herself for her friend uh, presumably dying. Uh, And so she goes to kill him. But then the fake Odin says, I'm the man who took you and Izo in. And Kiku hesitates, and Kanjo stabs her right through the freaking torso. Ah. Yeah, so. Sorry, Kiku, you're never gonna get to do anything, I guess. (laughs) Look, you had your cool moment. Uh, Now it's time for Kinemon to have the fight or something. I don't know. I wish they could have made a less dumb way for you to get to feel like I know that the idea is supposed to be that she connects so much with that memory of Odin that there's just the slightest moment of hesitation. But at the same time, she also instinctively knows this is not Odin. It's definitely Conjuro. 
and he already killed one of her friends already. So it's like mm-hmm. kind of less of like the nine scabbards and the more like uh, Kinemon and eight friends or six or who cares? I guess at this point, there's a there's a mink in there somewhere and that's all we need. <laughs> it's like, OK, I think that someone explained it in the discord saying like, Kiku is the member of the nine scabbers that you care about, so all the shit's gonna happen to her, so you'll care. It really will, man. She's had a rough she's had a rough night. Yeah. Um and so the illusion immediately dissipates. It's Kondra standing there and says Wait! And he, this was Kondra all along. <laughs> so he mocks Kiku saying, It's only fair. The wound you already gave me will prove fatal, Kiku. So uh, Kiku collapses. Kimon catches her as she falls, and she has like dramatic death in arms speech uh. going. Like it's like, oh, and she says, "It's I. This one has failed. But if the fallen snow is melting, then surely and Ki- the hour of dawn is close at hand." And Kimon's like, "Don't talk." And she says, "No, I'm sure." The light of Wano's dawn will shine all the way down to the underworld. Isn't that right, Kondro? Kimon fucking guts Kondro with one big dramatic sword slash and he falls over. And uh, then he doesn't fall over and he gets up and he's he says, if anyone should close the curtains on my act, it ought to be you. And they flash back to all their time together, working under Odin and having good times together. And Kondro says, after all, on stage, we were always best friends. And then he falls over. So, hold on. I've got to make my direct speech before I fall over. Uh, okay. And more stuff happens. <laughs> the fucking wall breaks down. And it turns out they did know where Momonosuke was. Because Kaido's fucking here. Oh, great. <laughs> oh, joy. And immediately Kinemon says, Shinobu, get Momonosuke out of here. He draws his swords and is trying to fight Kaido, uh, who um, crushes him with his freaking club. Um, I don't think he managed to block that because his blades are broken under the the weight of the smash, uh, the clubbing blow. Uh, And as Momonosuke shouts out uh, Kinemon's name, the last thing we see is a panel of Onigashima arriving at the Wano mainland which was why it was floating in the air to begin with. Yep. So. The assumption I would make here would be that this is sort of the, the moment of despair as we transition mm-hmm. to act four of this arc, uh, which will mostly be the fights, presumably, as that's mm-hmm. all kind of set up. Uh, but there's a lot of questions still in there, like how does Luffy get back? Um, mm-hmm. What is going to happen with everybody? Like, there's there's a bunch of questions kind of currently going on. So, you know, it's a very interesting thing. I just, it is really, really annoying to me that Okiku kind of had to look like an idiot here to give Kanjiro some, like, come from behind victory or whatever. Just so fucking Kinemon could beat him anyway. <laughs> like, it's like, even, and they also established, like, oh, well, the wound Okiku gave me was lethal to begin with. So... I would have died from it anyway. Like, then you should have just died. I don't, like, I don't, I don't, like, it's like a lethal wound that if I just grit it out a whole lot, I guess I can wander around and cause more fights and a whole bunch of others. I know it's one piece, yeah. but like, 
he's also a cowardly bad guy, so I feel like he wouldn't be doing that so much. Yeah. Um, Maybe he's just an idiot and he got cut like a little bit on the arm and he's like, this lethal wound that I've taken and someone's like, it's not lethal. You made me bleed my own blood. (laughs) Oh, it's not. Oh. Well, I've really been hamming it up. Maybe that's why the chapter's called Ham, because I've been hamming it up over all this. Why don't you just paint yourself a Band-Aid? Shit. That's a good fucking point. God damn it. <laughs> like Grammy who made the suggestion. The <laughs> <laughs> brain in a jar is like a goddamn smart-ass brain in a jar. <laughs> okay, so that is going to do it for the manga this week. Let's go over our favorite chapter and uh, MVP for the week. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Favorite chapter MVP. I think my favorite chapter I'm going to give to Spy Family. I think it was just a really good chapter this week. I, I agree. It was really good. Um, let's see. Yeah. Um, there were some good chapters this week, but that one I think stands uh, head and shoulders above the rest of them. So I'm going to agree with you on that. So. All right. I will also note that I... Oh, so my favorite character of the week, by the way, I'm going to give to Mui from uh, Undead Unlock. Mm. Uh, I'm going to give mine to uh, Lady Nagant uh, from My Hero Academia. I thought that her uh, backstory stuff was interesting and compelling. So, yeah. There you go. The audience, by the way, uh, mirrored my picks, actually. So Spy Family and uh, Mui are the winners, although Lady Nagant has a ton of votes, so I actually wouldn't be shocked if they were pretty much tied. Uh, there's also a lot of votes for Maki from Kaisen, which we won't talk about, but uh, if she was an option, I guarantee she would have won this week, because it's a kind of crazy uh, chapter with her. I did hear some uh, some stuff about that. I think that was actually like the thing that they were advertising on the, uh, the weekly update uh, on Shonen Jump, so was yeah. that she was Maki is a badass in this <laughs> Maki looks cool this week. So, yeah. All right. So, guys, uh, we covered a recommended series uh, at the top of the episode, so we've got a new one that we're going to be looking at, which should take less time for me to read. Uh, and that Because it's a much shorter series, which is Murasakiro no Qualia, also known as Qualia the Purple, it is a series that has sci-fi elements. Uh, I The recommendation just says that it starts off weird and it gets even weirder. Uh, it was recommended to us by several people, but the first of which was Flame, Flame Fist 96. All right. There you go. Uh Everyone seems to be reacting that it's a bonkers thing, so I guess we shall see. Uh, that is I have no idea to... what to expect because I've seen positive reviews for this and... People saying this is really insane and stupid. So we'll <laughs> All see. <right. laughs> All right. Uh, I should note, by the way, before people start heading out, that there is a new uh, monthly other recap that if you want to go check out, it's up on the Patreon, available for anybody at any tier, basically. So just be uh, pledged to the Patreon. And we would like to extend everyone a special thanks to support on Patreon for creating bonus content, such as the monthly other recap for you guys to enjoy. We also want to thank everyone on our Discord server, which you can, of course, join, uh, get word on when the uh, stream is going live here on twitch.tv slash which you can also do by following us on Twitter, Rolo T, Nick F Time, WMR Podcast. You can also check out all of our 
previously recorded episodes on weeklymongarecap.podbean.com, our YouTube channel, and pretty much any podcast listening service that you can think of that it then gets distributed to from Podbean. Uh, I also want to send special thanks to NinjaX3i for maintaining the uh, WMR Google Doc, which keeps track of the recommended series, uh, MVP voting, and all sorts of good stuff. Uh, and uh, to Steve Mann, our tower card artist, you can check out his artwork wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet. And to the creators of the opening sequence of the video version of Weekly Manga Recap, Wednesday Dale Cheddar and Milo Jack Stillitz. There you go. All right, that's going to do it. Anything else before we head on out? Uh, well, we've reached the uh, the fourth chapter, which means it's time for our big dramatic reveal and then for us to close the book forever and never, ever reveal what the rest of the story was going to be. So uh, goodbye, everyone. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Uh... Well, Father said that uh, I would be entrusted with, uh, with closing this podcast, and I hate all of you, and you'll Shit. never find out what, <laughs> what this means ever. Because I'm going now. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it then. Uh, sucks to suck, nerds, I guess. So says Nick.